This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Darnell's Do-It-Yourself Garage. Darnell's, a place for working stiffs who have to keep their cars running so they can keep bread on the table. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And it's me, the Ginger Dead Man. <laughs> and this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's Haunted Stuff Week with 1983's Christine and 2013's Oculus. Oh, it's very exciting. I actually, uh, okay, so now's the moment of truth, if I may. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I have a, a another title for this episode. Uh-huh. Material Possessions. Oh, nice. okay. That was well done. Okay. Well done. okay. Was <laughs> I've been holding it inside for so long. Like, this is kind of cool, like this whole like inanimate object, this thing, and it's a material thing that... Material possession. Oh God, I gotta tell them that. <laughs> this, I'm gonna wait. <laughs> wait till I see them. This week we have in attendance Mr. Bob Ramos, uh, otherwise known as the voice of the Ginger Dead Man yes. and the insanely offensive Ooga Booga. Oh, very offensive. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. Like it's just a screaming Jay Hawkins impression. But- <laughs> But it's really just, it's, I can't look at it. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I feel terrible having done it. But, you know, I, I thank Charles Band for the opportunity. So, Bob, I've known since high school. Well, since middle school, we became friends in high school and we've known each other for uh, about 20 years now. So, yeah. damn. That's a long. <laughs> so you either know him as uh, one of those voices or from his illustrious indie wrestling career for <laughs> going on almost 20 years now. Yeah, 16 years right now, and we're getting close, man. Like, I am uh, currently a character by the name of Holly Price on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, a Southern Swindler. Uh, almost pretty much the devil, but his horns are just hidden underneath his hat. So... <laughs> Love it. Thank you. And you're tweeting as Howdy's roommate? Yes, I am Howdy Price's roommate. (laughs) You can uh, follow me at Dino Winwood, all one word, but Mm -hmm. I am Howdy Price's roommate. And that guy is not easy to live with. (laughs) All right, well, before we get to the movies, it's slash card time. And since we have three people, I figure we're just going to ask the question and let whoever respond, whoever can answer first. So, Kelsey, you want to get us started? A killer is loose in a small Maine community in this 1985 film, but no one believes the boy in the wheelchair who insists the killer is a werewolf. Silver bullet. Wow. That was fast. I love that movie. <laughs> that is that is a Stephen King movie. Yeah, yes, it is. it is. It's a damn good one in a Dino De Laurentiis production, which means you're going to get some schlocky goodness. <laughs> We've seen a, we We've seen a couple Dino De Laurentiis. He did uh, Manhunter. Yep. I love Manhunter. Yeah, it's a damn good film. I love <laughs> William Peterson in that film. And you know what? That's my favorite Hannibal Lecter, by the way. I find him more realistic. Like, I've seen documentaries on cannibals, 
he Brian Cox has it down, man. Like no dissing uh, Anthony Hopkins because he is the theatrical version. This you know, uh, my <laughs> eyes are bugged wide open, and I'm going to <laughs> through the dark and all that stuff. But Brian Cox is straight up like looking into him and like you know, uh, I, like looking at him and he's like you know. No, I tried to eat you, right? <laughs> just very creepy. Just remember so. that. Yeah, it's a very good performance. I love that movie. The soundtrack's incredible, too. Yes. All right, Bob, what question do you have for us? Yes. Uh, let's see here. Name two horror movies directed by Dario Argento. Suspiria and... The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. <sighs> okay, that's one each. <laughs> that's plain fair. That's one each. <laughs> so I need you, you kids to dig in deeper. There's so many you can do. Deep Red. Very good. Yeah. I wasn't even hinting. So, <laughs> yes, that is very good. Susperia and Deep Red. Those are his, his two, in my opinion, masterpieces. Like Deep Red's my favorite. We're eventually getting to Tenebrae. Deep Red, right? Tenebrae. Oh, if you kids don't have Tenebrae, I can loan you. I have the steelbook with all the cool features and shit. Because uh, that was my first Argento film that I watched. Like, I've never I, seen it. It's so good. I love it. Plus. I've never seen Deep Red either. Really? Yeah. I think you'd get a kick out of that one too. But, like, De- Tenebrae to me is... It's really, really interesting. Like it, it can be a real life thing, in a way. But plus, if you're a fan of like dance music, electronic dance music, the band Justice sampled the main theme to, from Tenebre. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I lost my shit when it came out. I'm like, that's Tenebre. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna dance me to it. I can dance to this. So. <laughs> Do we have either of those on our list, Kels? We have Deep Red, right? Deep Red's on the list. Yeah. But Tenebrae is not? It was, it was not, but I can add it. Okay, cool. I can give you guys a whole list of the ones to watch like right away. <laughs> All right, so my question. Yes? The Dead Zone, 1983, mm-hmm. takes place in what fictional New England town? Castle Rock? Where would Castle Rock be, Kels? If you could say it's anywhere, where would it be? Maine. That's Correct. Castle Rock, Maine is the right it's answer. Castle Rock, there it's we go. Rock. <laughs> That's also Stephen King reference, and uh, I guess starting next week or so, we'll be including Castle Rock spoiler Woo! talk yeah. at the end of our episodes. I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, it looks really it's interesting. It's not getting the best reviews, but... It's what getting all right days? reviews. Yeah, it's okay. As long as they're not getting terrible reviews or nobody's talking about it. That's where the real worry is, like, the season two of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, nobody talked about it. And I went in like, you know what? Let's just right. watch it. Boy, I should have listened to those non-reviews. <laughs> We're currently watching the new Jessica Jones. Oh, man. What episode are you on? We only watched the first two episodes. Oh, my God. There's hell ahead of you. <laughs> they really need to cut those seasons down to they eight to ten really episodes. They really do. Like, if yeah. you're going to do those, just do like maybe eight, six to eight episodes or if you're going to do the same number of episodes, just cut them down to like 20 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. glow? Fantastic! When I finish with the seasons, I'm like, fuck, the season's over. Mm-hmm. I want more. But you know what? It's totally fine. That <laughs> <show> was perfect. <laughs> All right, moving on to the movie. Our first one is 1983's Christine, directed by John Carpenter, written by Stephen King, the original novel, and Bill Phillips, the screenplay. Uh, the screenplay was written before the book was even published. That's how hot Stephen King was at the time, <laughs> that they just approved it based off of his uh, treatment. And starring Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, and Alexandra Paul. Is that is that the important people? I think it's the important yeah, people. Yeah, that's the important. Well, I mean, Harry Dean Stanton, but he's kind of like a, you know. 
Nice little. He's in like two scenes, three scenes, I guess, technically. In the movie, so, <laughs> He's yeah. a treasure. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is absolutely a treasure. Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> what is the premise of Christine? A high school senior buys a 1957 Plymouth Fury. Fury. And the car, how to put it? I guess the car is alive and is very vengeful. Is that a good way of putting it? Sure. <laughs> I'd say it is. It's one of my favorite words. I'm describing the film. So this movie is uh, you gotta you gotta purchase or rent it. It's not available for free anywhere that I saw, uh, but we did. I've purchased it multiple times. <laughs> if that tells you, it is a. It's a great movie. We love this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's a foregone conclusion. Kelsey, should people watch this movie before they listen to the rest of the episode? Absolutely. This movie is awesome. It's so good. Bob, what do you think? Oh, dude, I've watched that movie. Like I said, I watched that movie religiously as a kid. It is still the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's one of my favorite Carpenters. There we go. Watch the movie. And when we get back, we'll talk about 1983's Christine. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury. Possessed by hell. Her previous owner is not alive to warn her present one. Once she lures you behind the wheel, you will be hers, body and soul. There is no place you can hide, no place you can run, and nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine, body by Plymouth, soul by Satan. Bob? Yeah? What happens in the plot of Christine? Can you run us through from beginning to end real quick? Well, Arnie is a nerd, wants to be cool, so he buys his car that he has really good feeling about, starts fixing her up, but in the process of that, he's fixing himself up. <laughs> Looking real cool, too, just straight up. Seat wetting with the popped up collar, James Dean red jacket. I Very love true. him when he's in his white t shirt and he's got his hair slicked back. His hair back. slicked back and he's looking all sexified. So the the point is that the the longer he spends with Christine, the more and more he looks like a fifties greaser, like a fifties greaser out of the era that Christine came from. Yeah, the influence is heavily getting to young Arnie. And his friend Dennis, who he's known since kindergarten, is noticing all these changes. And, you know, despite all the weird situations that he's getting into with Arnie and all the changes, he's still like, my friend, Arnie. Like, just, (laughs) you know, just constantly shrugging it off. And then Lee, this girl that everybody's gaga over and... uh, I mean, who, uh, you ruined her for me, Bob. You ruined her. I for did me. ruin her for you with the truth, Jay. What's the truth? The truth is, is that she was the short-haired, uh, what's her name, like Stephanie, lifeguard, lifeguard on Baywatch. Are and they all hot on that show? 
no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he ruined me in that she's no longer attractive. I oh. mean, that's all I can think of whenever I see her now. Oh. Like so her thanks hair, a lot. Her long hair, which it was at the time, just looked like a wig. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> we're so used to seeing her with the short hair. And, well, she's going out with Arnie, and she thinks he's swell. Then, <laughs> like, I think, like, on the first date, she's just suspicious of Christine. Like, that car is jealous of us. Except the car were jealous, Arnie. You know, she's right, because, you know, the craziest ideals are always true in these kinds of films. And so in the process, Arnie is just full-blown greaser, jerk, and has ruined his relationships with his friend and his girlfriend. And as... And his parents. And his parents, yeah. But his parents were dicks. <laughs> like, his mom was straight up like, I hate the youth. Like, why did you buy that car? He's like, why did you let him buy that car, Dennis? He's, Dennis it, gets Dennis gets the shit end of the stick every single time. Yeah. Someone's like, oh, what kind of friend are you? You let him buy that car. <laughs> it's like, hey, dude, like I'm a football player. I shouldn't even be hanging out with this kid by high school standards. But I am. I'm a pretty swell guy. And uh yeah, in the process of that, like, there's these murders going on of all the people who were just jerks to Arnie, and he's just shrugging them off. Arnie's just like no, whatever shit happens, man. They were, you know, shitters. They were shitters. shitters. Shitters is a big term in this film, it's by the way. It's huge. Shitters. Was that a slang in the 50s? I don't I don't know. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know. I can ask my dad, hey, dad, when you were a kid, did you ever call somebody a shitter? <laughs> it's really, really bizarre to me, though, to see the old man from Home Alone <laughs> say things Say things like, it's the best smell in the world, except maybe for pussy. <laughs> That's just about the finest smell in the world. Except maybe for pussy. And Well, you know that was shitters. a deleted scene in Home Alone, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shoveling in snow. In the church. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a fresh snow, huh? The, the, uh, the smell of fresh snow on the concrete's the best smell in the world. Next to pussy. Because <laughs> <laughs> we gotta play that scary theme for South Bend Shovel Slayer. Okay, continue. Now that uh, the yes. shitters are all dying, the shitters are all dying. And how are they dying? We can get we can get into the details as far as what like that happens. Okay. Well, um, they come into contact with Christine in some some forms, being like just your basic chase, crashing into things, and some being. Bar none, the coolest image ever caught on film. A car on fire. Yes. Chasing after you. Yes. And just running your ass over, leaving you for dead in a nice crispy critter. So cool. It was just, like, rewatching it, even to this day, I I am in amazement of how, like, did John Carpenter write this or did Stephen King write this? Because this is a great image. Mm-hmm. Just this fucking, this fury on this fire and fury uh-huh. running yeah. over uh-huh. this shitter. In the middle of the street. There's a kind of a bad cut there, though, where at first he's, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 yards away from the car. And then the next thing you know, the car is already halfway over this flaming body. Mm -hmm. So it's like, "Eh, okay, but it's still badass seeing Christine on fire and chasing down Buddy. It yeah. is, but the problem is is that this happens a couple times in this movie. They've got the Prometheus thing, where it's just like, Oh, yeah, the Prometheus school of run, running mm-hmm. away from things. Why don't you yeah. go in places where the car can't go? <laughs> well, back in, like, 83, that type of stuff was just still new. <laughs> like, Moochie, why didn't you run stuff. over the top of the car? Yeah, Moochie. <laughs> 
What did, what made you think a knife was going to do anything? <laughs> oh, Moochie. Of course, Moochie deserves it. Oh, as, you, as we find out from the deleted scenes uh, that we actually see in the deleted scenes. So get this on Blu-ray or on iTunes because it comes with the special features. Mm-hmm. And one of the deleted scenes is an extended version of them beating up the car. It's all the shots they didn't use. And one of those shots is Moochie taking a dump on the dashboard, which they refer to twice in the movie, but we never see. One of them took a shit on the dashboard of my car, Ma. Now, how's that for rational, huh? Yeah. You get to see it in the deleted scenes. <laughs> as we, we finally got that, you know. It was, it was very valuable. We needed that scene. <laughs> yes, we didn't need the scene of the guy from Ghostbusters fucking the gas tank. Yeah, that's oh my god, <laughs> that was not a piss face. He was pissing the gas. That's Nobody obviously what he was a doing. Roll your eyes back, but <laughs> when you're pissing in something, I don't care how much you hold it in. That's no, that guy. It does look like he's fucking the gas. He tank. He put some sugar in that gas tank, and then he put some sugar in that. <laughs> gas tank. So. Also, I I just love the idea that this guy's like, I'm totally fine with taking a dump right in front of my friends. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guys, look at my hairy ass as I take a dump on a dashboard. And it's like, like he's in the car with his ass hanging over the dashboard, and there are two of his friends out in front. The only thing separating them from, like, watching this is the smashed up windshield. <laughs> so they totally get to watch shit come out of Muji's ass and onto the dashboard. In classic 1980. We're spending way too much time on Moochie shitting on the dashboard. It's a main part of the story. <laughs> they mention they it mention twice. twice. <laughs> you don't mention things twice unless you want people to know how grotesque it is. I understand uh, one of the perpetrators uh, deprecated on the dashboard. All right, so then Buddy gets run over by the flaming car, then what? Detective Harry Dean Stanton is on the case constantly... Uh, not believing Arnie in any of his alibis. Yes. For no apparent reason. <laughs> well, he gets into it and again in the deleted scenes where he's like, no, nah, I tracked all your alibis down and they're total bullshit. Yeah. Well, but he he's always somewhere else when the people are killed. Mm-hmm. Yes, but he can't explain why he gets that red paint because it was found in Moochie's bones. Right, absolutely. His, his pelvic bones. <laughs> you have to do the book description in the film. Because they make that a very heavily embedded in his pelvic bone. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that it's a good question. Where did this paint come from, if not from your car? And I checked it out, and you didn't get any paint from that place for this car. It's not made anymore. However, like I said, he is always somewhere else. Mm. At one point, he was at home. At one point, he was at a job for Darnell. And then in addition, how do you explain the fact that the car is in pristine condition? Christine, pristine. Yes. Well, that's his problem, is how did you get it like this? Well, exactly, that's- but it's like, no one would come to the conclusion, the car is alive. Yeah, so- in any way, unless, like, Harry Dean's a supernatural investigator. He that seems like know. it. At the end, when he's like, you guys are heroes, I'm like, does he know what happened? Yeah, like, did he investigate <laughs> the car before then, or is he like... He's just as old as Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yes. Maybe he was his brother. I don't know. <laughs> but as all this is happening, like people are dying left and right because and the car-related deaths. But Christine is constantly putting herself back together because that's how she rolls. Yeah. I, I got it. I, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's how do you she want rolls. me to go to the end? That's how she rolls. Yeah, keep going all the way to the end. Okay, cool, cool. So in the highest form of sexual tension, Dennis and Lee plot to save Arnie? Don't know how they think they do that. Yeah. They carve shit into his car saying Darnell's tonight. 
Yes. And then we're going to put it. We're going to put him in this bulldozer, and then we're going to run him over. Well, I don't think they actually thought Arnie was going to show up. I think they thought that Christine was. Yeah, show up. because the question uh, was there. Lee Will says. Lee says, "What if Arnie doesn't show up?" Yeah. And Dennis says. Christine will. What if he doesn't come? Christine will. So whether or not Arnie shows up, Christine will. So they're going to take care of Christine, and if Arnie shows up, maybe they can they can help him. But either way, they're destroying Christine, which ultimately will help Arnie. At least they thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because Arnie is in the car, by the way. Yes. Um, and that's the first time we get to see him actually in the car while yeah. Christine is running havoc. So we don't necessarily know... That he did the murders. That he did the murders, yes. His alibi I, could still hold up for a lot of these cases. I don't think he really did kill them before this mm-hmm. because when Darnell is killed inside the car, mm-hmm. when he's talking to the cop about it, he seems genuinely confused. Yeah, right. Like what... What happened? Which means he Why? wasn't in the car when it killed those three punk kids. Mm-hmm. We don't know necessarily about Moochie. Do you think Arnie was in the car? I think Arnie was in the car to probably an extent of it. Like, I don't think he was there. He obviously wasn't there for, like, the three goons and... Is it Barnell or Darnell? Darnell. Darnell. I don't, he, I don't think he was there for that. Okay. Unless, like, Christine just played a song that said, Get out of the car. You know, yeah. <laughs> you like, better go home so yeah. you have an alibi. There you go. Like, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> but, um, but uh, which, by the way, folks, you know the the main form of communication from Christine is through 1950s rock and roll. Fuck you, Bumblebee. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I was thinking. They do it so much better than Bumblebee mm-hmm. because, like, in Transformers. Because Christine picks songs from a particular era that communicate what she's talking about. What she's thinking and feeling. But not specifically the words that Christine is saying. (sighs) Christine is not speaking through the radio. She's communicating through the radio. Whereas Bumblebee magically has every single word a person could possibly want to say right. Like, it's so dumb. It's It's not the first movie. Yes, in the first movie. And then they fix it at the end of the first movie. And then they just forget that they fix it. Fixed it because people loved it so much, and every other Bumblebee appearance, he talks the same way. Yeah, really Even though they bad. fixed it at the end I of the first movie. I just remember in the first movie, it, it got me to giggle when uh, she starts to walk away, and he goes, "Baby, come back." Yeah, yes, that was pretty funny. That was the funniest part that. of that movie. That was the most like Christine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, maybe. Oh man, maybe this horror film inspired the true horror <laughs> of Bumblebee. <laughs> Michael Bass Bumblebee. <laughs> and just in case you're listening to this in the very uh, far future, we're not talking about the Bumblebee movie. Yeah. That may very well be good. We don't know. It hasn't come out yet. It's I don't doubtful. trust it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they plan this uh, ambush. Yes, they plan this ambush. Uh, Dennis has hot wired a killdozer, if you will. And uh, um, uh, he tells Lee to wait in the office, and now she's, you know, strutting to the office, I'm sure wiggling her ass just a little bit more in front of Dennis. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Christine pops out from a hunk of trash yes. that was com- just completely She was covering. there the whole time! The whole time! <laughs> so she pops and out And somehow car. got covered, but we know that Arnie's there with her, so yep, yeah. Yep, shows Arnie in the car, and he's all lit up in the face, and he's dark-eyed, and... He wants to kill Lee first, so he like just backs the car up, and like in the process of it, he topes through the the windshield, 
and topes. Tope is a wrestling term. Okay, okay, got it. Suicide dive. Okay, I knew I got that one. Yeah, uh-huh. you dive through the middle of the ropes. You just go head first. So he goes head first through the fucking windshield. They show the body go through. To yes. me, as a kid, I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> so he goes through the windshield. And she's like, oh, is everything okay? And he pops up and scares the shit out of her. And then it reveals that a hunk of glass, like, got into, like, his lung, I think. Yeah. uh It just went underneath the ribs. And he pulls it out. And he starts, you know, touching Christine's grill, like, goodbye, my love. (laughs) And and fun fact about that, like, um, the actor who played Arnie, uh, Keith Gordon, he said that he would imagine Christine as a woman. Yeah. So whenever he touched her, it was very tender. And everything else. So, it and really he would shows. he would uh, he would think about whenever he touched her, like what part of an actual woman he yeah. would be touching. Mm-hmm. In that, and respect. that's why I love his relationship with Christine. He, yeah, he does an excellent job of treating the car as if it is a real living thing, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, the looks he gives and the when he talks to the car, because there are a couple times when he has, like, a conversation with her, mm-hmm. he seems like he's really talking to someone. And when he touches her, I don't know, there's a very sexual link between him and his car. Mm-hmm. And at one point, as Bob told us, she can put herself back together. So after the bullies have totally totaled the car he realizes that she can fix herself and so he walks a a ways away and he says okay show me okay show me Is like a burlesque show. Greatest song yes. ever. Harlem Nocturne by the Viscounts. Look it up. <laughs> I looked for that song for like 15 years. I'll tell you that story off the air. So, but yes, continue. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. And one of the the headlights um, with the lens flare goes right up. And the way the, the camera follows it, it meets up with Keith Gordon's eye. And it's just a really well done shot. And the look on his face says, I am watching a striptease. Yeah. And it's very, very good. It's so good. Yes. It's like my favorite scene in the film. I'm very attracted to Keith Gordon in this film, so. She keeps doing this to me. How am I supposed to feel? (laughs) Maybe you need to start being a little more frisky with your car. When she she announces that she's attracted to all the weirdos and the murderers. What does that say about you, weirdo? That's what I'm saying. Take that as a compliment. As a, as a weirdo who's like been single for years, take that as a compliment, please. So yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great it's a stellar performance. Like I've I like his work. I've seen his other stuff, and he's a really good director too. Um, I've seen that he's a big director. Have you have you seen the Singing Detective? No. Fucking phenomenal film. This was during. Robert Downey Jr.'s, like, comeback tour from the heroine <laughs> when he sang and fucking everything for some reason. But you know what? You get it out there. But it is a musical. It was based on a British radio drama and a BBC original. And then they adapted it. And Keith Gordon directed it. And he did a great job doing it. But in this, like, his acting, I feel, is very underlooked. Like, just 
he does so well in this the oh, transformation so yeah. of the highly sensitive and very innocent Arnie to just complete like fuck the world I'm slicking my hair back and <laughs> popping my collar with my gigantic button on the side <laughs> and you know me and my car we got this thing going on so yeah the only other thing I've ever seen him in is the legend of Billie Jean <laughs> he was good in that too yes he was another weirdo role yes scaring no people, scaring surely. people with the yeah with his masks and his Stop. Surely you've seen him in other things. By the way, he's directed a lot of popular TV shows, like episodes of Fargo. And mm-hmm. The Leftovers. And The Leftovers and Walking Dead. And so he has quite the director career now. Mm-hmm. But as far as acting is concerned, he was in Dressed to Kill. Yes, he played uh, uh, Angie Dickinson's son in that one. It was really good. I don't Peter know Miller. Is. And <laughs> I have, that, I have the, the criterion, so. Yeah. Uh, he was in Home Movies, a Brian De Palma movie with Kirk Douglas. Mm. And he was in another, he was in a Robert Downey Jr. movie, Back to School. Yeah, Back to School. He was I've in Back to, school Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. Yep, they play Dead Man's Party in that film. That's the first time I heard it. <laughs> and he was in Jaws 2. I still I, need to see that. I've never seen Jaws 2. We have never two. seen Jaws 2. <laughs> I've only seen the one with Michael no, Caine. Surely we have. Uh, you might have. Because we've seen Jaws 3, which is the 3D one that takes place in SeaWorld. I've which only, was awesome. All the way through, I have only seen the original. I've seen and one, Jaws 3 4, and 4 is the revenge with Michael Caine. Yes, it's got Michael Caine and it's got Mario Van Peoples <laughs> and the mum from uh, Charles Play. It's from Charles Play. I forget her name, though. Yeah. Well, she's the mom from uh, the first Joss. Yes. Because that that shark is getting revenge on their family, and it follows them. It's so dumb. It's really bad. Yeah. Anyways, we've got to finish. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we got to finish, Christine. Yes. Let's talk about the good stuff. Okay, so now Arnie is dead. Yes. But it's not over. It's not over. They think, like, it's over. Let's get out of here. And Christine starts playing the songs, playing uh, the Pledge, which is the name of the song on there. Really good one. And starts repairing herself, wanting to kill Dennis and Lee because they killed her love. And it's mostly just parts of her trying to get out. But they're like, nope, we're going to put the bulldozer in your back. And then yeah. Lee is going to stand there for no reason, staring right at you. <laughs> and like, what are you going to do if she gets free there, Lee? It's really cool, too, because you can tell that Christine is struggling. Mm-hmm. Not only because it still tries to move forward in spite of the fact that the um, the caterpillar has it trapped, yeah. uh, but like its its windows are rapidly rolling, like up and down, up and down, up and down, like it's struggling. That's the first time I noticed was in this I watching. Didn't that. Yeah, I uh-huh. noticed that. Oh either. no, I got to yeah. watch Christine again. Oh darn. <laughs> darn. But yeah, like the shaking of her, like when she's backing up and stuff. I yeah, I got that. Like I thought that was a good like flair to it. She's just she was like a. A wolverine, basically, just <laughs> chewing her own leg off to kill these bastards who killed the, the man that she loves. And uh, a fun little fact on that one, um, there's a scene where, like, the front of her is, like, completely caved in. And you see, like, it's got pointy ends. Like, it's got teeth. Uh-huh, yeah. So she backs up into the into the darkness. And then you see the headlight, which is, like, hanging low. And it just fixes itself. Yeah, uh-huh. And she comes back out. It's, it's a beautifully shot film. Yes, it is. I cannot stress this enough. Like, John Carpenter... His early shit when Hollywood didn't like completely shit on him, it was incredible. But according to him, mm-hmm. according to the horse's mouth, 
this was a total I'm getting paid. Yeah. Job. Like he he wasn't passionate about this book. He actually thought that the premise was kind of silly. I mean, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Even the screenwriter thought that. Yeah. He's like, I'm writing a movie about a killer car. But then as he read through the book, he's like, no, this is actually really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but John Carpenter was like, hey, you know, this is a job. Yeah. That's really sad. It is. But (laughs) But he still did an amazing job. Yeah, say, think about it. A man who can do that well by not giving a shit, can you imagine how he would have how that movie would have been if he gave a shit. And he obviously, he obviously gave a little bit of a shit though, because like he still did the soundtrack with another dude. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's great, except that it do, it's very reminiscent of Halloween. I most love of it. The soundtracks are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of his, of his soundtracks though. They're very simple. Like a lot of, a lot of horror movies and productions and stuff like that. Don't realize this. Simplicity is the best thing for theme songs. Right. Yeah. Especially with John Carpenter films. Like there's a theme song that still creeps me out. That's non Carpenter. It's the theme to Zombie, the uh, the Fulci movie. That's on our list. It's so it's so minimal to the point where you feel like something is near and you don't know where, but it's there. It's just simple, just simple drum beats, mm-hmm. and then the organs kick in, and it's so eerie. And that's why Carpenter's scores work so well because he understands that the simplicity of it is there. And then you can add the elements to it that make it just eerie. Like in this soundtrack, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of that, and it's just ew. What's yeah, near so me? Good. Like, it's a car, but I don't want it on me. So <laughs> like when there's that sound that you just made is when he says, "Okay, show me," and then the headlights, which are like floodlights, those things are super bright. As soon as they come on, they, when they power on, you get that sound, and it's really really cool. It's a great reveal. Like that scene, it, 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 as a kid watching and I thought like, oh, Christine's evil. Like this is the whole thing about it. I didn't understand the importance of that scene until like rewatching it mm-hmm. now. And it's like, this is the first time you're seeing her power. Well, I disagree because first of all, we, we saw when uh, Lee is choking in the car, it gets all bright, like she says. Mm-hmm. And that shows us that the car is involved. There's an influence right, right, right. there. Right, right, right. Also, but we don't actually see the power functioning. Like, we get yeah. the hood slamming down on the guy. Which could have been right? a total accident. That's yeah, the throwing uh-huh. off of it. But it's obvious I, the, the, the car doors lock themselves and the light turns on when Lee's choking, like yeah. you say. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time, even though it's happened before, that we actually see it regenerating. Even though Arnie worked really hard to restore her, there's no way he got her that cherry in that in short, that amount, short of amount of time. Especially since, like, dude sees it, and then, oh, we're going to play a game this weekend, and then it's perfect by the time that game comes I think comes more around. time has passed than you're thinking, because when he visits him in the hospital, it's November, and the movie starts in September. But right, but the, the hospital the game, thing happens after. The game was in October, and then the first thing that Dennis asks him when he comes out of his rest is, how'd you get the car so cherry? Mm-hmm. Like right away. How'd you ever get that car fixed up like that? So it's it's there. It's like, The timeline things, I think, were actually there for a reason. <laughs> but it's, I'm just so. saying it's hard to keep track because I pointed out that they're totally unnecessary. In the bottom right-hand corner, they'll tell you what the day is, mm. you know, month in the day. And it's like, I'm not paying attention to this. I don't know what the last one said <laughs> and when it appeared. So it's it comes so far apart that it's hard to keep track. You just know that it travels from the beginning of the school year through New Year's. Mm-hmm. So we have... 
Christine getting trampled by the caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Lee runs into the caterpillar, finally dawns on her the bright idea, maybe I shouldn't just stand here. <laughs> and looking and, very dramatic. Right. And then uh, Dennis, driving the caterpillar, proceeds to run over Christine over and over and over and over again. And she's constantly trying to Regenerate, herself. yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Until the point where the next shot you get is she's been cubed and dropped in the ground a la that horrifying scene from Brave Little Toaster. Oh, God. Oh. You're worthless. Worthless. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can feel my scars opening up. <laughs> You're worthless. And Harry Dean Stanton's there, and he's talking to Dennis and Lee, and they're like, you guys are heroes. And they're like, heroes, we didn't save... Uh, uh Harry Arnie saved Arnie. Yeah, and they're like, and he's like, well, you know, some things can't be helped. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and then they hear. Meanwhile, the music. they don't give a fuck because now they're together. Because they're gonna bang, yeah, so hard. <laughs> so, but then they hear the 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 rock and roll music from the fifties, and they're like, oh my god, is it still alive? And then this dude that works. In the uh, in the junkyard, in the junkyard, just walks by with a boombox on the side of his arm, and he looks at them like what? And then he walks away. Yeah, and she's like, "I hate rock and roll." Because me too. And then the that's the end of the movie. Except oh. we get a zoom in on the cube, and we can see part of the grill, which has been distorted, kind of moves a little bit, just a just a little bit. And that's the end of the movie. Da, that's da, that's da, Christine. Da, da. Yeah, it plays Bad to the Bone again, which is yeah. the first song that's played in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is the plot to Christine. Let's do lightning round. So this at this point, we can just say whatever's on our mind in short little snippets. We may talk about it further if it's warranted. Okay. Okay. So the mom, as Bob said, is a total bitch. Yes. <laughs> yes. She has some gem of some lines. <laughs> um, so at the very beginning, like when his friend is picking him up, she's just like, that's noise pollution, what you're doing. You might as well be putting toxic waste all over my my front yard. <laughs> Fucking really? Yeah, that's the first <laughs> experience we get with his mom. And it's like right off the bat, we don't like her. Yeah. And she just, I think... She's really shitty, and I feel like Arnie's almost, almost justified when he's just like, no, I'm buying this car for me. Like, this is what I want. I, I always bow down to you. I'm 17 years old. It's time for me to do something for myself. Look, you wanted me in college courses? I'm there. You wanted me in the chess club instead of in the band? Okay, I'm there too. Now, I've managed to get through 17 years without embarrassing you in front of your bridge club or landing in jail. Now, I'm telling you, I'm going to have this. This one thing. According to Bill Phillips, he's the screenwriter, the movie was, it wasn't violent enough. Yep. And it was going to get a PG rating. And (laughs) since PG-13 didn't exist, right? So it was going to get a PG rating. So he went through the script and added a bunch of F-bombs to it. And that's what got it the R rating was how many times I say fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently people didn't like that very much. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just interesting that they went through and that's how they did it. It's not all the shitters. Yeah. <laughs> you can say like shitter as much as you want. still get you a PG by yeah. 83. <laughs> and you can even say fuck once, like in Spaceballs, a PG movie where they say fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can say it once, but you can't do it more than that. 
I also like as soon as he's about to buy the car and his friend is just like, it's a piece of shit. And he's just like, she could be really tough. Like it shows like right there, he's already starting to step back in time Mm -hmm. with her because tough was one of their words that they used back in the 50s. It was a big word. And and then he starts to use shitter inexplicably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They just it's his catchphrase (laughs) in this film. And I love that scene, too, because like it's it's pretty much like. It's like the she's all that moment where he notices the girl who's not as pretty as the other ones. And then, kiss me. So, yeah. Kiss me. It's a good observation. Beneath the milky twilight. Is that how the song yeah, goes? Yeah, oh, you know how it is. Don't, don't fucking play it off like right? you don't know it. But I right. always thought she says bling bling in the song. Bling like, bling. Beneath the milky twilight. <laughs> bling bling. And I'm like, oh wait, it's not bling bling. Bring, bring. It's bring, bring, but I think it's bling, bling. (laughs) Because she thug like that. (laughs) Let's talk about the Plymouth Fury. Yes. Just a little bit. So the Plymouth Fury, there's some confusion out there. If you look this up, people are like, the Fury was actually a different car. The Fury was actually a car released by Plymouth as the Fury. Like, so you could look it up and you'll see that the Fury was actually a real car. It wasn't invented for this movie. It was a modification of their Belvedere, which in the same line that Mustang Ford will release the Shelby, which is just a a, a physical modification of a Mustang. It's just a, a slightly tweaked version of a Mustang. The Fury was a slightly tweaked version of the Belvedere. So they did exist, but they are really rare. So to the point where when they needed to get the 20-something different Furies that they had, uh, something like 25 different Furies, they would – they just did body jobs on Belvedere's hmm. for some of them. I think especially the ones that they were going to destroy anyway because literally that's all that Plymouth was doing. Mm-hmm. So you could create your own Fury just by getting a, a Belvedere and modifying it. And Chris is going to do that for me someday. Yeah, uh-huh. And you're going to notice slight changes in him. <laughs> He's going to start wearing big red jackets with buttons on That's the one kind of car that Kelsey actually wants. I saw is like a, the is a Ford Red Plymouth Fury. She want a Christine. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a good wedding present. Mm-hmm. I'm broke as shit, but I'm just laying suggestions, so I'll buy you a little Christine. But well, it had, has one. You have a Christine? I have a model that I haven't put together. He ref- He's had it for years and he won't put it together. Well, no, it's here's the thing. Is it a Fury or is it an official Christine? It's an official model. Christine, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Put that shit together. Thank well, the, you, Bob. I'll come and help It's a you. little more complicated than I originally thought and it requires special paints and glues and stuff like that, which I don't you have. You mean a type of red that doesn't exist anymore? So yes. <laughs> which is Ford Red, by the way. That's funny because I said Autumn Red in the film. Right. Did, yes. <laughs> Well, in the deleted scenes, he yeah, does. Yeah, he does. Uh, <laughs> but this this effectively did for the Fury what Back to the Future did for the DeLorean. It was a limited run vehicle that is now super popular and everybody wants. So it's very much a collector's item. The uh, most recent one that was actually used in the movies was sold for like a hundred and something thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that was actually used in the movies. But it's almost impossible to find them anymore uh, yeah. because of how popular that this is. And Stephen King apparently chose it. Because in his words, it's a forgotten car. He said, quote, I didn't want a car that already had a legend attached to it, like the 50s Thunderbird. So it it would look good, but it it wasn't associated with anything. Yeah. 
Well, I like oh. the fact that the most of the budget went to the cars. Yeah, a big, well, so big they could chunk destroy of the budget. Them. Yeah, and only like two survived. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh-huh. that's that's awesome. That's um, movie magic right there. <laughs> the detective drives a Plymouth Fury, <laughs> but it's it's, a, it's one from the 70s. Ooh. Yeah, which was used as a police car apparently around the time. And the Darnell's auto body, like fix it yourself auto body shop that he had was actually um, a factory, an old factory where they uh, manufactured wire. And it was it was twice the size of what we saw. And so for the first half, it was a set of this auto body shop. And then the second half behind it that we couldn't see was an actual auto body shop where they would work on the cars for the movie. That's a good use of space. (laughs) Wow. I thought it was really, really I didn't know that. That's really, thank you for telling me that. (laughs) I'm really happy about that. (laughs) So if you want a Christine, you could probably find a Belvedere and get that fixed up. Someday. Someday. Maybe my hair will grow back when I start working on her. <laughs> Some of them were uh, just shells that were built on top of existing stunt cars. Like the one that runs into uh, Moochie. Mm-hmm. That actually is is an existing stunt car that has a rubber front. Ah. Wow. To be used for stunts like that, I guess. That's so cool. I want to die by a car in a movie. <laughs> Safely. So... <laughs> right in an indie I movie. I don't need any of this sure? like backtracking shit. <laughs> There's recording where he says that he wanted to die that way, <laughs> and then he did. He did. <laughs> I hate. Oh boy, that his friend is such a douchebag with Lee. <laughs> even even in the beginning, even before Lee like is like, oh, I wish I had met you first. Before that happens, because that's in a. That's in That's one of deleted the deleted scene. scenes, however, you totally pick up on it's that. It's totally yes. there. Uh-huh. Like, oh my god. Just because they don't say it doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. But even in the beginning, when his friends are daring him to ask her out in the library and he goes to talk to her, he's like, hey, uh, you know, can I take you out on a date on Friday? And she's like, no. And it's like... That's your answer. Mm-hmm. Now get up and go back to your seat. But instead, he demands to know no, why. No, no, no. Hold on. Uh, I was thinking about this scene myself. He worded it wrong, but she didn't say no. No, she, she said, said that, I can't. Yeah, I can't. I have and to. So, and so he asked why. And he could have done it better. Like, hey, do you mind if I ask why? Is it because you don't want to go out with me or is it because That's you're doing it? Since he's he a high school implying. jock, he's just like, why? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah like, and then she says, like, I have a why? date. <laughs> and she said, I have a date. Yeah. And... He and then when he finds out that it's his friend, instead of being happy for his friend, he's just jealous. I don't understand why. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, okay, we don't know enough about Lee and Keith Gordon's relationship, right? right? We yeah. don't know if like they actually have a connection or if it's just because he got all hot when he worked on Christine. We don't understand. But are you telling me that you wouldn't be upset if you were crushing on some dude and then your friend all of a sudden started dating them out from under your nose? You wouldn't be upset. First of all, that's happened to me in the past. Right, and you weren't upset? I didn't stand in the way. I didn't try to lure him. Well, neither does Dennis. Yes, he does. He does when it's It's, obvious that something's wrong with Arnie, and they've broken up already, and Arnie stopped hanging out with Dennis. Like, that's when he finally actually starts hanging out with Lee, and only once Lee calls him and asks to see him. I think if they gave him another 40 minutes, we would have gotten a lot more melodrama between those two. (laughs) Yes. Which is why I'm so grateful for them not doing that. Uh, Totally. That really wasn't a thing. 
Because if they do a reboot of Christine, which they probably fucking will, they'll put more emphasis on that melodrama and it'll ruin everything. It'll it'll make you fully not like them like those deleted scenes <laughs> really did. So, oh. how about this? This film is very loosely structured the same way that Carrie is structured, which is another Stephen King movie. In both movies, the main character is a high school outcast who is the target of bullies. The main character then becomes possessed by a supernatural force, which they use to kill off their enemies. Well, a lot of Stephen King things are like that. (laughs) But these are the movies. Yeah, these are definitely the the keys. Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I connected with these more than I did any superhero story. Like, oh, he's a... An outcast, a nerd, and then he, you know, became something better. I'm like, nah, fuck that. I don't want to help these people. <laughs> like, I, I felt sorry for these characters. Like, watching Carrie in the past, like, five years, that movie is sad. It's not even scary. I, 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 it's it's a sad story. Like, I felt so bad for Carrie. Like, I would have just straight up say, you sons of bitches, why'd you do this to her? And go clean her up and take her back to her crazy-ass mom. Well, that's yeah. why he wrote it. Yeah, it's it's so good. Because he... He, he knew a girl. Yeah, he knew... I'm not going to get into the whole story, but he knew a girl when he was younger, and all these people made fun of her, and he never did anything to help her. Damn. And he wrote Carrie as kind of a... I'm like, sorry, slash... Here's your revenge. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he really hates bullies, and that's why he always, always includes them. Yeah. And they're always, like, the exact same characters. And they're always yeah. fucking murderous. Yeah. yeah. Like, fucking Henry Bauer, and yep. the dickheads from Sometimes They Come Back, and... Mm-hmm. Like, he d- 1950s bullies, man. They were <laughs> something else. Alright, you guys want to know differences between the movie and the book? Yes. I actually wanted to ask you if you have any, because yes. I like those. There are a lot. We're going to burn through them here and you can comment them as you as you please. Okay. Roland, who's the original owner of the car, mm. sells it to Arnie directly. He's still alive, but then he dies after that. So he doesn't actually die in Christine. Oh. There's a whole Darnell subplot. Uh-huh. Where the garage is a front for his smuggling business. I kind oh. of figured there was something going on. Shadiness. with Yeah, but, you know, it never went anywhere. So mm. who cares? At <laughs> one point, Arnie gets arrested for smuggling cigarettes for Darnell. Oh, shit. Darnell eventually gets arrested on income tax evasion and is killed by Christine after it's implied he'll cut a deal with the prosecutors, get this, to tell what he knows about the car. So was the car waiting outside? Yeah. (laughs) Listening in? In No. No. Get this. In the book. Uh Uh-huh. He had a heart condition, and that's what he died from, but this is how it happened. Christine drives into his house through a picture window, rams his staircase over and over again while he's trying to climb up it to the point where he can barely breathe, and then his heart stops, and he falls down the stairs, at which point Christine runs him over repeatedly. Oh, my God. Right, but that doesn't answer the question. I would have killed to have seen that in the movie. Oh, my God. That doesn't answer the question of how Christine knew he was going to do that. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure Mr. King wrote, like, she has mind-reading powers and right, shit like probably. that. But, yeah. like, oh, my God, that would have been a much cooler way. 
They <laughs> just straight up. It's like the movie <laughs> The Car, where it's just driving into people's houses and shit. <laughs> but she's going up the staircase. Oh my god! I got. Let's call Carpenter. Let's have him do that. <laughs> that, that would have been great. The romance between Lee and Dennis is almost entirely removed. Good for him. Detective Junkins is actually killed by Christine near the end. It seemed like he would be a character that they would kill off. It's, right. I was kind of surprised yeah. still that they never did that. In the book, Christine is vandalized at an airport. An airport worker and a friend of Buddy's mm. serves as lookout. That airport worker skips town and they find out at the end of the story that uh, Sandy was run over by a car. Ah. ah. Implying that Christine is alive again. Mm. That would have been an interesting way. And this is uh, kind of unnecessary, so they didn't include it. But both Arnie and Dennis worked together over the summer as part of a construction crew. And that's how, number one, he got the money to pay for Christine. And number two, that's how Dennis knew how to drive the Caterpillar. Oh, okay. That's fine. Like, it, not even just back then. Like, now it's just like, okay, whatever. They'll figure it out. Like, it's in movies. And then Arnie covered it. Like, I've been saving all summer. Like Right. Yeah. Good. It's totally unnecessary. To, of it. Right. Yeah. There is one more, though, I realize. In the book, King makes it clear, because there's no, like, intro where the car is possessed from the very beginning mm -hmm. is that it's actually possessed by Roland. Yeah. That's what not I by some evil yeah. force. And when he dies, he possesses the car. Yeah. The so. deleted scenes kind of touched up on that possession thing too. Like, um, Arnie makes subtle hints like me and Christine have been tearing shit up for years. Yeah. He's only uh -huh. had the car for a couple of months. I'm like, Oh, right. he was turning into him. That's, yes. That makes sense. But in this one, it's more like, she was always evil. That's why Carpenter added the assembly line scene, because that wasn't right. part of the script. But I think you're right, Bob, though, because she's always been evil, but he's specifically getting possessed by one of her owners, Roland, the one who who owned her up to this point. Mm -hmm. That's why he starts using the term shitter, which we know his brother used. Mm -hmm. So he probably used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. He also says he also uses terms that you wouldn't think he would use, such as when he's about to speed off with Dennis in his car. <laughs> he says, "Let's motivate." <laughs> no clue how that would be cool. <laughs> Mind you, I love old school terms, but not once say, "Well, let's motivate." <laughs> he also thinks he asks Dennis at one point, "Has it ever occurred to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids?" No. <laughs> no, it hasn't. <laughs> like, Why what? would it? What part? <laughs> you call the fucking Babadook? Like, that's the only reason I can imagine. I think we should mention the way that Lee always refers to Christine. Car. <laughs> that car. That car. Then get rid of that car. He always pays attention to that car. In that car. Yes. She, every <laughs> single time she says the word car. Because <laughs> I hate that car. This is obnoxious. Extra A's, extra R's. We gotta get the original script just to see if her lines were particularly drawn out like that. <laughs> Regarding the bullies, I will say I'm I'm appreciative that there wasn't a long protracted series of events where the adults don't believe the things they say about Buddy. Because mm -hmm. you know how that happens in movies where they try to create tension when the people in a position of authority don't believe the main characters when they're getting picked on. Yeah. And the bullies get away with it. Nope. Guy shows up and is like, no, buddy, you're a dickhead. You did it. Yeah. You and I know you have a knife. I believe uh, 
Arnie and Dennis, obviously you're a total douche. And then he gets expelled. Like nobody believes, but he, cause yeah. he's a total Henry dickhead. Bauer wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a kid who constantly says, I'll kill you all. <laughs> nah, he's a good kid. Let him go. <laughs> I love the scene where he's just dropped Lee off. Gets back in the car to turn her on, and she won't turn on. She's mad at him. She's very mad. Mm-hmm. And he's he says... It's okay, nothing's changed. Well, baby, nothing's changed. It's all yeah. right. Everything is the same. Yeah. And then she turns on, and she's playing Don't Know Why I Love You, Don't yep. Know Why I Care. It's so good. <laughs> and he's just like, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Come on, baby, please. It's all right. Everything is the same. This is this is real, yep. and I accept that. <laughs> now this is <sighs> this next thing I'm going to talk about is right after Lee meets Dennis for the first time we ever see them really alone together mm-hmm. is on like Christmas or not Christmas but New Year's Eve, and Dennis says he's going to go off and spend time with Arnie and his family because they do that every year. Now, keep in mind the first time. That Dennis and Lee are alone was immediately before this. Mm -hmm. So they haven't had a time to fool around or get together. They only talk about how much they care about Arnie. And the next conversation that Dennis and Arnie have is in this car while Arnie's getting trashed. Arnie goes on a rant about how love can give you the power to do anything. It can make you stronger and you can do anything, anything in this world and no one can get in your way with the power of love and the support of somebody who really loves you. And Dennis, like an idiot, says, oh, and you feel this way about Lee. He's like, what? Fuck no. I'm talking about Christine, man. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee. <laughs> what? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. I I figure that Dennis totally has the go-ahead to start wooing Lee at this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, mind you, after that scene, they, he automatically, like, you know, throws the gauntlet down by carving into Christine. So Yeah, that's the after that that night is when he does that. And then it leads into the final confrontation. Yeah. I think our hatred for, for their relationship mainly sprung from the deleted, the scenes. deleted scenes. Yeah. Where man, it's all over those that. deleted scenes. They did not paint them. Well, no, like, man, you guys, they're are like already, making like, out and he catches in. them. It's, yeah. yeah. It's really, really bad for them. So I'm glad. Plus like the scene where they actually kiss in mm-hmm. the deleted scenes. And then he straight up, Flips off Arnie. Hey, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, boy, this really got out of hand fast. Kelsey, you got anything else? I just think that Moochie is an awful actor. Oh, he's so awful. What does he say? I know where he keeps it. I know where he keeps it. I know where he keeps it. Hey, you're not mad, are you? You ain't, you ain't mad, are you? Hey, you ain't mad, are you? <laughs> How do you like that, dickhead, or something like that? How do you like that? Dick face. After he grabs Dennis's junk and yes. proceeds to vice grip. Yeah, slowly. he grabs Dennis around the neck with his arm. And then slowly. And then just slams his hand into his junk and then grips Squeeze his nuts. Like a stress ball. Yeah, Balls it's up. like, what is wrong with Moochie? I'll, I'll, I will 
I will, however, object. Uh-huh. You get to see in the deleted scenes that he is a great actor when you see the look at his face, on his face, when he is taking a shit on Christine's <laughs> dashboard. It's true. It's very He's a great actor, and I will not have you sulling the name of Mochi. Well, I mean, you know, do you think he, um, he method acted that <laughs> on a lot of the crushed up Christine's? Hey, I really got to, I got to practice for this scene, you guys. I really, I really want to get this right. Where's he going? <laughs> hey, man, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> what the f- John, what is he doing? <laughs> it's in the script. Don't worry about it. He's yeah. met him. He's working on the, on the... Like, I got John here. He's going to play the, the synthesizers while I take a shit on this on this dashboard. <laughs> when it starts to come out, John, just push the, the cord, okay? No problem. <laughs> oh, the filming process of Christine. <laughs> to be on that set. Kelsey, do you have anything else? I think that's it. <laughs> Okay. We ended it on a shit note. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you think? I'll let you both guess. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? Although, Bob, you might have seen. Mm, I really don't pay attention to those because I've loved a lot of movies that they completely shit on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a benchmarking place for us to decide how we feel about okay, it. Okay, okay. Kels, what do you think? I would guess... 63. What would you guess? Uh, that's actually a pretty precise thing. I would have said in the 60s or 70s. <laughs> so. If I was to say to you, what number am I thinking of right now? What would your response be? 69. That's correct. 69, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> 69, the cracks are starting to show in John Carpenter's directorial instincts, but Christine is nonetheless silly, zippy fun. However, I feel like Roger Ebert got it right when he gave the movie three out of four stars and said, by the end of the movie, Christine has developed such a formidable personality that we're actually taking sides during its duel with a bulldozer. <laughs> this is the kind of movie where you walk out with a silly grin, get in your car, and lay rubber halfway down the Eisenhower. Christine turns into a horror story when the car gets jealous of that kid's girlfriend, and I guess that sort of makes Christine sound like a ridiculous movie. And to tell you the truth, it is a completely ridiculous movie. But that doesn't mean I didn't have a good time watching it. It was strange, but ridiculous as it was, in some dumb way, the bottom line was I enjoyed it. What's good is this young actor, Keith Gordon. Mm -hmm. He plays this nerdy guy at the beginning with the glasses, sort of like Terry the Toad in American Graffiti. And then he has the transformation, but not just to a good guy. He sort of enjoys the power that this car gives him, and he comes becomes sort of mean and rotten, and that I like. We both voted thumbs up on John Carpenter's Christine, a surprisingly entertaining thriller about a haunted car. He said that? Yes. <laughs> and to think, like, because Carpenter had his gripes with Siskel and Ebert like, uh -huh. on They Live. He made, like, in the big reveal, the aliens, it looks like Siskel and Ebert. And that was his big fuck you to them. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean... Good for him on that one. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very fair uh, review of the film. But so I, I love this movie. So what would you give it? Honestly, I would give it a, an 87. An 87. Because I feel like there there could have been a little more stuff in there. Like the stuff that you mentioned, like to be added in the script. I really want to see that staircase scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it would have been a lot higher if you hadn't told me about that staircase scene. I'm like, oh, my God. That would have been so cool. But, like, the the effects of it. Reading about how Carpenter did the reconstruction scenes and everything is just simple playing it in reverse and how he went about destroying the car and everything. 
and the acting like Keith Gordon is incredible in it. And uh, it has all your classic Stephen King tropes, which funny enough, I don't know if you guys notice this in a lot of things that Stephen King has where there's some evil force, wherever it lives, it grow it glows green. Yes. And in Christine, her radio would glow green. That was like the heart. Like in like in Maximum Overdrive when it's a green glowing. Yeah. uh All the stuff. So interesting. Yeah. So I give I give it that. Kels? I'd probably give it like an eighty four. Yeah. I love this movie and I think it's like you just said, I think Keith Gordon is fantastic in it. I think even though apparently Carpenter didn't like this movie, I thought it's not he, that he shot didn't like it. it. He really was just well. doing it as a job. Yeah, I think that when you hear the concept of it's a killer car, it sounds ridiculous and stupid. And this movie didn't treat it that way. It treated it pretty seriously, and I really appreciate that. I thought it was really well done. But you know, it's an '80s movie about yeah. an evil car. Like I can't give it that much higher. <laughs> Also, there's a lot, you know, Moochie's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering because my dad's nickname is Moochie. I don't know if it's because of this movie. I In doubt the years it. Years I've known you, I'd never known that tidbit. It's Neither something. It's something that his his friends from like college gave him. He didn't grab any nuts or anything. No, I don't think okay, so. Cool. Good. Also, Buddy Rapperton looks exactly like '70s Travolta. Travolta from Carrie. Yep. They maybe look that like, was maybe that was a thing. Like they look like the same bully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. I personally would probably go a little bit higher than you, Bob, and give it an eighty-eight. Okay, it's not quite verging on ninety like an eighty-nine would be, but I I fucking love this movie. Yeah, it's, I love everything really about cool. it. Even the stuff that's just silly and ridiculous is silly and ridiculous in a way that just makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know. So it's like basically everything about this movie really makes me happy. Oh yeah, for. Just for my love of it, I would give it a hundred. I love it that much. But yeah. when I look at it as an actual movie and I think about it in terms of what makes a good film, mm-hmm. no, I can't give it a hundred. I would give it eighty-four. <laughs> There's very few things I give a hundreds for. So. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is high up there. I I love Christine. All right, that is 1983's Christine. Before we move on to Oculus slash cars, Bob, you want to get us started? Sure. The script for which George A. Romero film had to be cut from 200 pages down to 88 pages due to budgetary restraints. I think I know this one. Kelsey, do you have a guess? Night of the Living Dead? No. Nope. Day of the Dead. Correct. That movie's long enough as it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long movie. Well, that's when he got, like, super verbose because, like, the we were talking about this on Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Like it's just full of a lot of filler and they're doing things, you know? So there's not a lot of dialogue in that movie, yeah. but then the third movie is when like the zombies start to get like intelligent and he starts to get super philosophical. Yeah. Like Dawn of the Dead is obviously a commentary on, on consumerist culture. Right. But then yeah. like day of the dead gets super philosophical and they just talk so much. I can only imagine how long that script. Well, I can't. I I know what it was like two hundred pages. <laughs> That's crazy. That's over three hours long if they were to shoot it. If they were to shoot every page, which is it, nuts. It is nuts, and and that had like the best makeup effects of all of his films, and an incredible score. Again, sampled another horror movie. Sampled when uh, uh, Gorillas did M one A one. Hello. Yep. I remember hearing it. I'm like, Hello. what's that from? That's from something. What is that from? <laughs> and then, like, I moved houses at the time, and I bought Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead, 
when they did like a blue underground release, so they had this special cover and everything. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in a new place. I don't know where the exits are. I'm gonna freak myself out. I'm gonna watch a zombie movie. And then I watch it. I'm like, oh, that's it. No, isn't it? Isn't it Dawn of the Dead? No, it's Day of the Dead. It's Day of the Dead. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's, it's a great scene. All right, Kels. Yeah, 1921's The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari okay. takes place in what European country? I know. Go ahead. I, well, I think I do. Okay. I might be totally wrong. Okay. Oh, shit. Now I think I am. Okay. Well, I mean, I know it's a German film, but now I'm thinking it's not taking place in Germany. Where is it, though? Like Bavaria or Austria or something I was going like to say Austria. Germany. Ah, okay. Germany. It was Germany. All right. It takes place in I was, Germany. I was overthinking it. Scheiser, I was overthinking it. Scheiser. <laughs> All right. Speaking of haunted things, Craig T. Nelson played Steve Freeling in West. Yes. <laughs> That's correct. Craig T. Nelson. Oh, Poltergeist. The only fucking movie he's been in. Because he's been in television his whole life. He was coach and he was a braverman. So, yes, I watched Parenthood. <laughs> I had a girlfriend once. <laughs> Honey, let's watch the Parenthood. Let's be honorary Bravermans. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, sweetie. Oh. I'll go ahead and... Oh. <laughs> this means I don't get to watch girls later, right? We're good? <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my compromise. But yes, Poltergeist. A great film. They should have let Toby Hooper direct all of it. No Spielberg influence. I think it benefited from the two of them working together. It did, but they were still butting heads. Like, th- th- what's the most memorable scene of that film? The most memorable scene of that film? One of the top two. Um, when the giant puppet comes out? No. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I find one of the three. <laughs> this it's house is clear. When, no, not the skeletons. <laughs> when his face is his coming off? His face is coming off. That was pure Hooper. And but then, it was, it was um, Spielberg who was doing it. It was his hands. That was yeah, but that was like one of the things that they let him get away with. They okay. Tone down everything else. All right. Plus, I love the fact that the, the skeleton story was one of the most messed up and great things about it. Like, oh, we're gonna put her in this pool. We're not gonna tell her that there's real skeletons in there. Real skeletons, not fake skeletons. No, we're just gonna put real corpses in there with you. <laughs> so, but this won't damage anybody. This movie will be fine. Spielberg. So. <laughs> All right, the next movie we are talking about is Oculus from 2013, written and directed by Mike Flanagan, also written by Jeff Howard, based on the screenplay of the short that Mike Flanagan directed. Um, the screenplay for that one was written by him and Jeff Seedman, and starring Karen Gillan, Brenton Thwaites, and Katie Sackhoff. And don't forget Rory Cochran, can't miss his name. Woo! Bob. Yeah. What is the premise for Oculus? Just give us the tease. Okay. There's this really old mirror, and it has a history of death behind it. And Karen Gillan, fresh from the doctor, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, has an obsession with this mirror. And she um, basically steals it, uh, holds it captive in the house that her and her now released Uh, from incarceration brother uh, go back to their childhood home and basically relive the horrors of what happened one faithful night when they were young thank you Bob. now it is available for free if you're a netflix subscriber you can also of course rent and buy it elsewhere streaming online should people watch this movie yes yes i really enjoyed it still 
to I this think day. it's great. Yeah, it's uh, we Kelsey and I. Kelsey, this is like her fourth time seeing it. This was my Mine third too. time seeing it. I was really pleasantly surprised. Not pleasantly surprised. I was glad to see that it stood up. And I wasn't just like caught up in it the first t- one and two times I saw it. That it was, no, it was legitimately good. Mm-hmm. So we think you should definitely watch it before we continue with this episode. And when we get back, we will talk about 2013's Oculus. See the mirror hanging there. Oculus of glass, I stare. I can feel you staring back. Huh? A window, portal, darkened door. My soul will hold forevermore. I see you seen the devil. He is his man. Oculus, April 11th, rated R. Kelsey. Yeah. What happens in Oculus? All right. I'll try to do this quickly. (laughs) So we open on a dream sequence of the the little brother. What's his name? uh, Tim. 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 Timbo. (laughs) So Tim is in a mental hospital, but it's also, yeah, he was incarcerated because he killed his father as a child. And... It was in self-defense. Like, he's not hes not supposed to be in jail for the rest of his life. But they've kept him in a mental institution because he was under the impression that his mother's death and his father's going crazy, which ended up leading to him killing his father, was all because of a mirror. So, he has finally come to terms with it, according to the doctor. He's now 21. This happened 11 years ago when he was 10. So now he's out, and his sister is kind of taking care of him. Uh, She works for an auction house, and it is through her work at this auction house that she was able to get her hands on this mirror. Uh, It, like, disappeared into obscurity. She had to find it again, blah, 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 blah. And somebody has bought it, but she takes it home with her, even though she is not supposed to, because she plans to finally destroy the mirror. But she refuses to smash it and break it until she has proved that it is, in fact, alive. Um, And she hopes that her brother will stay true to his promise that he made when he was 10 years old, that uh, he will help her destroy the mirror. And so he's like, well, then fine, let's just smash it. And she's like, by all means, go for it. And they do it really well. He puts the thing down that he's going to use to smash it. He, like, stops in front of it for a few seconds. And she's like, so why'd you put that down? He's like, because this is stupid. Like, Well, and because you might lose your job. And, like, he's just coming up with excuse after excuse. And I think the movie does a pretty good job through a lot of it making you wonder, is it in their head or did it really happen? But I think she also gives sufficient proof to show that it really does kill people. She goes through this whole long list of all of these people that have owned it over the years and how they all kind of died in similar ways. You either die by starvation, by dehydration, Murder. Basically killing yourself, whether it be by pulling out your own teeth, by smashing your own bones, that kind of stuff. You do self-destructive things. And the mirror also, like, makes you think you're doing things that you're not. Like, she describes one of the ladies as putting her children to sleep, and yet she was actually 
drowning them. The origin of the Lasser glass is unknown, so I can't provide a complete history, but the trail starts in London in 1754. Yada, yada, yada. And then finally, they, their father bought it for his office in 2002. And yeah, slowly his father and mother kind of went insane. And the brother, he's been told his whole life that, well, our father was having an affair. And our mother went crazy because of it. And so our mother, you know, went nuts and was starving herself and uh, was going to kill us. And then the father, who had been torturing her, had, like, chained her up in her bedroom, uh, decided to kill her and then kill the kids, which is why he had to kill them. And she's got all these different things set in place. She's got these alarms to make sure that they eat, that they drink. She's I love got, how prepared she is for this. It's yeah. so good. She's got a dog because it swallows up dogs. Well, it she, kills dogs because it's easier to get to, right? And it gives it the power that it needs. So it kills living things, dogs, plants. plants. And so she puts plants all around the house at varying distances so she knows what its area of influence is, how strong it's gotten. And as this night progresses... They become less and less attached to reality, um, and they keep, as Bob said earlier, they go back in time a lot. Not like actually going back in time, but as they see themselves as children and they remember what happened to them as children. And then there are times when they start to actually see each other as children. It becomes very disorienting, and they forget who they are. They forget where they are. They'll wake up, and all of a sudden, like, she's against the mirror, um, and it's like sucking her energy out of her. But it's also hoping that she'll just stay there and get killed by her final safeguard, which is a kill switch. And it is a giant anchor uh, that is going to completely smash the mirror once a timer goes off. And they do show throughout the movie that other people have tried to kill it. Like at one point when they were children, they both went after it with golf clubs. But instead of hitting the mirror... They hit the sides of the mirror. They hit the the wall. Yeah, because it fucks with your perception of reality. Another guy was going to try to destroy it. He stopped right in front of the mirror, just like the brother did, and then quietly walked out in front of traffic. You know, like, (laughs) the mirror fucks with your perception of reality, as Chris just said. And, yeah, it ends on a bummer note. Yep, it's great. The daughter is tricked into believing that she is a little kid again. And she's tricked into believing that her mother is alive and well inside the mirror. So she goes to hug the mirror. And the brother is under the impression that she is not there, that no one is there. And he just decides, I'm going to finally kill it. But instead he kills his sister. And then he goes to jail again. (laughs) Yeah, the anchor right through the back of her neck. Ends on a bummer note. Yeah. Yeah, It's awesome. So... (laughs) Thank you, Kelsey. That was that was actually very well uh, spoken and concise. I know yeah. it's very difficult for you. <laughs> Not because you go on and on, but because it's difficult for you to get through the plot without focusing on those details. Oh, yeah. I agree. So congrats. Um, Thanks. So this is where the concept came from. There are a couple of things. He did a Den of Geek interview, the director, Mike Flanagan, and slash co-writer. He did a Den of Geek interview, and there's a lot of information that he includes in that. And this is one of the quotes. Uh, As a kid, I did all the Bloody Mary games and using a mirror to scare yourself. But as I got older, the thing that's awesome about mirrors is that they're completely ubiquitous. 
It's often our first interaction on a given day. We all stare into one for a good amount of time, and we base our entire image of ourselves off what we see back, which is wrong. It's backwards to start, and then each mirror is slightly distorted. The imperfections of the glass present us with what we assume is reality, but it isn't. So we took that idea that we take for granted that this is an objective reality, but it's not. And then I learned about the tradition in Jewish faith where they cover a mirror at a funeral to prevent souls from coming back through. And I thought that was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) That's wow. I'm going to read more into that. And so he, he did a short, it's like just over a half an hour long, I think. And it's just one man in a room with a mirror. And so he was shopping around trying to turn it into a full film. And he used his short to do that. And as early as 2006, and he said no to every single offer because the only offers he got were, okay, great. There's all these cameras in the room. Perfect. Found footage. (laughs) Now he said no, partly because of stylistic reasons. He didn't want to do that jump on that trend, which was very trendy at the time. Terrible. Uh, because uh, Paranormal Activity came out in 2007, mm-hmm. so that one was huge. It 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 was very successful. But he said, everybody wanted to do the found footage thing because there were cameras in the room, and I didn't think that worked for this story because the only thing that is really going to make it work is if we can say that what you're seeing on the screen isn't objective Mm -hmm. found footage has to be objective you have to believe the frame so it was really hard to find partners who were willing to do it another way it took like seven years we would go into meetings and show the short and people loved it and they would always come back to that it got really frustrating and i would just keep putting it in the drawer Uh, and we see this in action in the movie because she uses a camera Multiple times, she has all the cameras set up, but she even uses her camera phone when she needs an immediate and direct comparison to what she's looking at to tell her whether or not something is the truth. And the implication is that the camera is always the truth. Which it isn't. What makes you think that? When she's looking with her camera, there's no shards. No, 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 no. tells her that there are no shards on the No, there are no shards. That, That was the plate. But we do see that there are shards... That was the the clay pot. Flower that was pot. the flower. I know, pot. but when she's looking with she her goes, phone, like, nice trick. Yeah, and then she picks it up again. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, but then, but oh, but then she uses it to tell that there's a real body there. Her fiance dead, stabbed in the neck. Well, yeah, but I don't think that she's our best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, at, at that point, I don't think we should be really relying on her to be our our narrator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I thought that that was pretty interesting. And it wasn't until somebody came along. I can't remember what company it was that produced this. Bloomhouse. Yeah, Bloomhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Bloomhouse came by. Because Bloomhouse will do anything. It's true. They really will. They do (laughs) some incredible. They're trying to get a script in their doors. (laughs) They do some incredible stuff. And they also do total schlock. So it's really no indication if you see a Bloomhouse movie. But there are some really amazing Bloomhouse movies, such as this one. So I don't know if this is Jason Bloom himself or somebody from Bloomhouse who said, called him up mm-hmm. and said, you know, saw the short and was like, oh, yeah, I really, really want to do this. Just I have one condition. And dude was like, what is it? And he's like, it can't be found footage. <laughs> <laughs> and dude was like. 
oh, great. Yeah, okay. I think we can have a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And they finally got the movie made. So I just thought that that was a really good history about what got this movie made and what it's kind of all about. Plus, it puts a little more faith in Bloomhouse. Like, if people aren't sold on them, hey, they said no to film footage when that shit was like hot. Yeah, uh-huh. it wasn't the best trend. <laughs> like, there's very few found footage films that I like. So, why is it called Oculus? Well, ocular is what you see out of, yeah. right? But specifically, what you see through. Mm-hmm. Ah. And that's not what a mirror's about. A mirror's about reflecting things, right? So mm-hmm. it's a circular oval window is an oculus. A circular opening at the top of a dome is an oculus, or your eye is an oculus. Mm-hmm. So none of these things are a mirror. That's because this thing is not really a mirror. You see things through it mm-hmm. as opposed to Interesting. actually reflecting back and doing what a mirror does. It's a window, not a mirror. And yet here we are reflecting. <laughs> oh, I feel so good to have that one out. Oh. Was that was that what that you were was thinking? the one? Like here we are, we're going to reflect on the events of the film. And I'm like, oh, it's so good to be free. Bob, there's something I noticed in the beginning of the movie. Yes, and this is the exact same note. I figured you would have it too. I don't know yeah. if you have the same thing I have though. Oh, so. I think it is. Okay, what are you gonna say? Well, this this film uh, it was done by Bloomhouse, but the major note at the beginning, amongst like the four to five, I missed this because I wasn't paying notes, attention during the logos. There was the logos. It's a WWE production. It as is. Well. Because WWE made films for a short amount of time. Uh-huh. I don't think they do it anymore because it wasn't that much of a return. <laughs> like, I consider this... I think they still do. Uh, they yeah. might, but they don't make a big deal about it. Like, yeah. This, uh-huh. To me, this was like the one that they heavily advertised. And it's one that I actually was like, shit, I want to see that. Mm-hmm. But in those films, the thing about these WWE films is that there's always a cameo by a wrestler in their films. Like Dead Man Down with Colin Farrell that had an, a wrestler named Wade Barrett in it. Good film. I like mm-hmm. that movie. See No Evil. See No Evil had Kane. Had Kane. Knucklehead yeah. had The Big Show and the Chaperone <laughs> had Triple H. But the thing is, the cameo in this film is not by a physical wrestler. It is by a real name. And the thing is, is that at the auction at the beginning of this film... They mentioned that it is from the Levesque estate. Mm-hmm. All right, and our next item for bid is a gorgeous antique mirror recovered from the Levesque estate. And John Paul Levesque is a wrestler by the name of Triple H. So yeah. that was the cameo that they had. And as me watching this film in the theater with a friend of mine who knew I was a wrestler, sees me get all giddy. Uh-huh. And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, Levesque is the name of a wrestler. It's a real name for the wrestler. That's the cameo. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll watch the movie now. I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna crush you, Bob. Go ahead, go ahead. That was the same note that I had, but I also looked into it a little bit, and WWE distributed the movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't buy it until after it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. Maybe he went to that. <laughs> it is an entire coincidence that they happen to use the name Levesque I call bullshit in the movie (laughs) I call bullshit sir that's complete bullshit speaking of see no evil a WWE production this movie was remade in Bollywood in 2017 as Dobara see your evil I just thought I'd just release that oh thanks (laughs) I, I wonder what it's about but like I want, I want to see because like the plots are very loosely based in in Bollywood films. Like 
the Nightmare on Elm Street Bollywood movie. Oh, God. Man, they borrow a lot from, I think, like, they do the first movie, but they do a lot of stuff from Dream Master. Mm. But the female character, mind you, the females are the main, like, focus of heroes in those films. Yeah. Uh-huh. But since it's Bollywood, the guys have to be the hero. I'm like, this is really wrong. <laughs> like, this doesn't feel right. Like, I'm watching it with a friend of mine who's, like, a huge horror nut, and he loves Freddy. Like, my friend Leroy, he has a Freddy glove tattooed on him. Uh-huh. Yeah. He loves Freddy. And we're watching this, and I'm like, this just feels weird. Like, watching it's like, the, the guys are the heroes? This is stupid. But we watched it, and it's 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 as campy as shit because you know yeah. it's Bollywood. Yeah. And but like immediately after we watched Elm Street, <laughs> so yeah. like uh-huh. we need to do this proper. This doesn't feel right. Kelsey, what is your favorite horror movie franchise? Are you talking about Nightmare? Yeah, yeah, I love a Nightmare. Oh, on Elm Street. Yeah, she's yeah. a big, it's a great franchise. Fan. Yes. Uh, did you know that I worked with um, the little kid from New Nightmare? Really? Um. Okay, I get these confused all the time. Okay. Is he either A, the kid from Jurassic Park who gets his guts torn open fake by the, you know, the one who gets the, oh, Velociraptor also means bird of prey mm-hmm. in the very beginning of Jurassic Park, or, or... Is he the baby in Pet Cemetery? He's the baby in Pet Cemetery. Okay, yeah. He was adorable. Yeah. <laughs> little crazy little shit. <laughs> I have to play with mommy. You have to come and play with you, too. <laughs> <laughs> just get a double barrel and blast that little shit back on the street. And he's, he's like, no fair. I'm no like, fair. I'm like, oh, go finish. God, I we got to We got to watch that movie again. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to watch it after this? <laughs> I'll buy pizza. <laughs> Pizza and we'll watch. You know, don't go on down that road. <laughs> Which John Lithgow is playing that role yeah. in the remake. Uh-huh. Like when that news dropped, I wanted to talk to you guys like right away. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, they're probably busy. <laughs> but I really want to talk about this. But yeah, so we're <laughs> back to the movie. Back to the movie. <laughs> I love talking with you guys. Karen, <laughs> Karen Gillan. So fun. This is the first role she played in an American movie. Mm-hmm. She is in fact Scottish. Mm-hmm. I'm from Inverness in the Highlands, next to Loch Ness. And she's probably best known originally as Amy Pond, one of the Doctor's companions, Matt (sighs) Smith's companion in Doctor Who. But more people probably know her now and don't realize it as Nebula from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, as well as the new Avengers movie. That's Nebula? That's Nebula, Nebula. yes. The starboard current has been breached. We have been boarded. She shaved her head for those No, I know she did, but that's crazy. Yeah. Yes. It's awesome, huh? She's got a completely different voice. Well, this is is an incredible, it's an insanely good American accent. Yeah. Like, really, really good. For her first movie, for her first American movie, it's it's maybe a little bit too terse and, like, tense. Yeah. But her character's tense. (laughs) It really calls for it. Like, as a Scottish person, she does an insanely good American accent. Yeah, that's incredible. And then the other thing about actors in this movie I wanted to talk about is that I can't see the dad. Rory Cochran. Yes, without first, first thinking of A Scanner Darkly. Yes, (laughs) great film. Where he gets his sins read to him over and over again for all eternity. (laughs) Uh, And then... Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused. Slaterson. 
and then Kelsey mentioned Empire Records. That's the first thing that I see when I look at him. He's Lucas from Empire Records. And for me, he was a character in the Natural Born Killers true romance ripoff, Love in a 45. I've (laughs) not seen that. Yeah. It's got uh, Dermot Mulroney, not Dylan McDermott. Right. uh, And Renee Zellweger in it it's a weird like you can obviously tell like they this is at the time people were cashing in on the tarantino style so it's very tarantino with all these characters and like you know using all the stylized filming and stuff but it had also the taste of natural born killers in it and which was written by tarantino yep written by tarantino and then but the oliver stone influence was yeah uh-huh so it's an interesting film and roy cochran does a really great psychopath like straight up like shoot you in the face and then take your money and say, I think we had a very successful job. And he just, his acting is very, very good. It's because it's all over the place. I got to say, I got to say, I realized I didn't talk about this very much in the beginning when I had the opportunity, uh-huh. but I would not be nearly even remotely close to into movies as much as I am today. If it weren't for Bob, <laughs> Bob was a huge influence on me in I'm this very regard. Blushing right now. <laughs> I mean, when we're talking about about things like natural born killers and stuff like that, he was the one who showed me that, showed me all the Tarantino stuff, and like we would, we, that's what we would do is we'd watch movies all the time. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic, and I don't think I would like horror movies in particular as much either. I remember one time. This is just a quick anecdote uh, about a movie we watched in the theater uh-huh. was the re-release mm-hmm. of The Exorcist. Yes, on Christmas Day. Yes, <laughs> on Christmas Day. And oh. we had two completely different reactions to this movie. <laughs> yes, we did. Bob is very superstitious. Grew up in a Catholic household. <laughs> yes, very much so. Latino, by the way. Yes. <laughs> so that and shit is branded into my brain. <laughs> and so that kind of like, you know, being possessed, going through an exorcism is like, it's very powerful. And so he he was terrified of this movie watching it in the theater. I remember that. We were sitting next to each other and he was like gripping onto me. But yep. it, but for me, at one point I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, white people, man. I wish I had your beliefs or non-beliefs. Because man, because uh, funny, funny fact on that one, because we went with Mike. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. We went with Mike. We mm-hmm. went with a friend of ours named Mike, uh, an Irish Catholic. And uh I crashed at his place that night because I was too scared to go outside and go Aww. home. And mind you, it was hot as hell in that room. Oh, so yeah. Uh-huh. He had a converted garage as a room. And the window in this pool house. So all we had was a sheet over the door. <laughs> and we'd just see the wind blow. And then we would hear shit outside. Uh-huh. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't care if we're sweating our nuts off. You need to close that door. <laughs> He's like, you close the door. I'm like, fuck you. It's your room. <laughs> you go. If something attacks you, I'll fight for you. <laughs> and just enough, like, he closed it and ran back into the bed. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> why did we go see this on Christmas Day? Jesus is not going to save us right now. And he's like, you guys did this. This is your, you know, bed. You sleep in it. But, yeah. And again, I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. You got to sleep. Fine. We're, did we go see 1408 together? No. Okay, just making sure. Because I always go back to that memory. I knew I saw it with some, like, friends. And I remember embarrassing my niece in the theater for that. But I'll tell you about that. At okay. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, thank you for that. those kind words, by the yes, way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, uh, my face is feeling very warm. So Aww. I can tell that I'm, I'm blushing. So 
I'm glad I had a, a well. Thank a good, you, Bob. A good influence on you, I guess. <laughs> so, oh, I will say this: Roy Cochran, great actor. Uh, he did an amazing Lee Schreiber in this film. Yes, yes. Oh my God, yes. How so? Well, the way I am at the beginning, uh, I gave you this file, and uh, yeah, hey, kids, don't play in there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thought I told you not to play in there. Is that what Leif Schreiber sounds like? This is pretty like? much Leif Schreiber. It's kind of <laughs> like a Harrison Ford toned down <laughs> in the face. We're going to get a CAT scan machine. But that's from The Ten. He was in a movie called The Ten where mm-hmm. he was doing a CAT scan machine thing. But um, yeah, like Rory, Rory, I felt like, I, I love Rory. Like, I'm glad that they cast him. But watching the movie, I'm like, I really feel like they wanted to leave Schreiber. <laughs> Just as an amazing actor as well. But uh, he's really doing a good leave Schreiber. And a lot of actors do that. A lot of times, like, people don't think that they can get the specific actor for a film. Like, we're looking for this type of actor. Instead of straight up going to the actor. So I really feel like this was the case. Like, we're looking for a leave Schreiber kind of character. <laughs> kind of character actor. You know, Rory Cochran's pretty good. Let's get him. Can, can you do a leave Schreiber? Uh, I suppose I could. <laughs> wow, you're in. So, yeah, good Lee Schreiber by Roy Cochran. Plus Starbuck, from yeah, Battlestar Galactica. Katie Sackhoff, yeah, yeah. I didn't watch that show. I didn't either, but I wanted to, you know, be cool for this one girl I was seeing. I'm like, oh yeah, I'd totally seen that. Oh, that's Starbuck. Oh, is that? Oh shit! <laughs> I blew my cover. So. <laughs> Uh, apparently her and Karen Gillan are very good friends, oh. even though they share all of one scene together where they <laughs> <Yeah>. hug. <laughs> and that's like it. Yep. And then a boat anchor through the back of the head. Mm. The, the Watching the video of that. Like, yeah, because it? they have video. I was asking at the end, I was like, do we have any reason to think that they didn't actually successfully capture all this on video and now there's proof? Mm-hmm. And... No, actually, we get confirmation that they did record it because we have him hitting the switch and releasing the anchor and killing her. And her arm's just going back. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, that's so brutal. And right after this happens, as he's getting carted away and they're like, this is what he did to his sister. And they haven't looked at all the other footage. He's screaming, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. No, it was the mirror. It was the butterfly. (laughs) And uh, it goes back and forth. Between the timelines. I really like how they play with the timelines in this movie. Mm-hmm. How at first it's seeing things and then you see the actual characters and then they can touch each other. Uh, you know, they're interacting at a certain point and it kind of culminates at the end when the timelines are really, really mixed up where young Tim and older Tim are both being arrested and screaming the same thing. It wasn't me. It was the mirror. And we're, we're flickering between the two timelines Almost like it's cuts in an edit where we would go to a different shot and instead we get a younger Tim and then we cut to a different shot and it's the older Tim and it's like back and forth and the scenes are very closely mirrored. Oh. Very very nice. The events in the present mirror (laughs) those in the past and it's really a fun way to, to like the way they switch that back and forth. I thought that was really cool. Especially that window scene. Yes. Okay. So there's a scene where maybe we're thinking of the same one. Maybe we're not. They're outside. Yeah. And then they look in and they see themselves still in the room. And then they stand in front of the mirror and she says, it's a trick to get us to go back inside. And then he says, or vice versa. Vice versa. What if it's a trick to keep us standing there? Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's a trick to get us back inside. This is a trick to keep us standing there. And they don't know which one they actually are. Mm-hmm. It's so cool, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. And there are other great transitions, too, where uh, things like a scare, where they open the door because they're hiding from their dad, and then he opens the door, and it's the mom, and she screams, and when it cuts to her screaming, it's the younger version of her screaming from the mom who's banging on the door now because they closed it back in her face. And those really cool, real smooth transitions between timelines. Yeah, kudos to the editor on this one. Cause, oh, absolutely. Because even like when I first saw it in theaters to even now, I'm just like, this really like... It, it's showing you their perspective. Like you don't know yeah. what the hell's going on, wh- which is reality, which isn't. And it, you get genuinely scared. <laughs> like, Oh shit. Yeah. She's behind the door now. No, wait, she's not behind the door. Where the hell is she? Like you're asking questions yeah. in your head while you're trying to figure out what's going to happen. I have and- to say, even if you don't think the movie's good, you have to admit it's crazy inventive. Yeah. I think, I think it's great. I think it is very inventive. I think that all these, uh, yeah, the editing is fantastic. And all that. And the way that we're describing it, it almost makes it sound like it would be frustrating. Like, oh, come on. Like, which storyline are we in? What is real? What's not real? But the movie is made so well, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat so much that you don't have time to get upset. You don't have time to get frustrated and be like, I don't understand what's going on because you're so gripped in the story. It's very engaging. The acting is great. The writing is great. The... It's a beautiful house. It's yeah. a beautiful movie. It's really good. And I'm really surprised that it didn't do anywhere near... Like, I th- I think it should have done way better than it did. Yeah, I agree. It's... Uh, I remember coming out of the theater saying, that was a WWE-released film. That yeah. was really damn good. Like, uh-huh. Me and my friend, we were just talking about it for hours and hours. Like, first off, we were, we're Whovians. So we were just so proud that Karen Gillan was in this amazing film. We're like, oh my God, it's going to be a lot of opportunities for her. Very good. And then we were just like, man, like, did you know like what timeline we were in? Like, no, I didn't. I'm like, excellent. Good. Cause I, I usually I'm like, oh, I can't follow this or anything else, but this film, it, everybody's running around trying to get the safety or trying to get away from the mirror or anything else. And it's, it's a maze. It's a puzzle of a film. And yeah, like it, as as you said, you stated earlier. If even if you don't like this movie, you have to give it that amount of credit that there was love and care put into this film. It's carefully mm-hmm. crafted. So I, I will say there there are still tropes. Oh, there's definitely tropes. There's there, no there's literally no such thing as the perfect movie. right. No, totally. Yeah, but like I just last week talked about how frustrating it was that they use multiple times in closed for the season the one where somebody's getting overwhelmed by noise and somebody's attacking them and then they scream make it stop make it stop make it stop and then it stops when they scream like that mm-hmm. that happens in this movie mm-hmm. when it happens to timbo yeah timbo and he screams you know this isn't real this isn't real and when he screams it the loudest, that's that's when it stops happening. When there's like banging and there's flashing and but I, the ringing noise. I disagree because there are still things happening around him. Just because what was upsetting him the most stops doesn't mean that the other things around him are still have stopped. Because mm. after he says like you know it's not real, he comes back to reality. Yeah, and I feel it's another thing about this movie. You, if you think, I'm gonna sound like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. You think like the mirror. 
the mirror is like, oh, he's at his most vulnerable right now. I think this could be a good opportunity to have him kill his sister. Mm-hmm. So let me yeah. create a, a, a false sense of hope for him. Mm-hmm. And go ahead, pull the switch. You're like, gotcha, bitch! So exactly. says the mirror. Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. So like that, to me, that's another a third perspective of it is you see it from theirs, but then you also get the perspective of the mirror. If you think like the... You're going to pull a fucking a Will Graham. You're going to think like the killer yeah. here. It's like, you did it, you son of a bitch. You made him You made him pull the kill switch, and he murdered his sister. And then you put the mirrors in the eyes, which the, the, the ghosts <laughs> in this movie have. They, uh-huh. The possessed souls, the lost souls in the mirror. They have like the, a glare of a mirror. In yeah, the eyes, mirrored yeah. eyes. And like, do you see? No. Um, <laughs> but I love that about it. Like, all the lost souls of the people taken by this mirror have the mirrors in their eyes. The Oculus, if you will. And it's taken it away from them. And it puts itself inside of them. That's why they're attacking them or scaring them into the... Basically, the rooms that they needed them to go. Because the, the, the souls were doing basically just defensing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, don't go in there. Go yeah. over here. <laughs> go over here. Go uh-huh. in there. And I'm like, damn! This is awesome but yeah like the mirror is a third perspective in this film and so you will grant it and i also really love that the mirror it's not that the mirror like sprouts arms and kills people it's and it's not like the ghosts are killing people just like you said they herd them into places that they want them to go Mm -hmm. um the mirror just has to fuck with their perception, and that's all it has to do. And it and lets we, them we end the up the way, yeah. killing ourselves. <laughs> right. The dad has this really great line that I looked up and is from this movie. It's not sourced from anywhere else, but when he holds the gun pointing it at the young Kaylee, he says, I've met my demons, and they are many. I've seen the devil, and he is me. It is me. I've met my demons, and they have many. I've seen, I've seen the devil, and he hears me. Right before he's going to kill her, uh, and then Tim knocks the gun out of his hand. Fantastic line about how, yeah, it's it's be- like they're doing all of this. Yeah. They just kind of need a little bit of nudging. You just need to see the right things, and then it can totally fuck you up. So what you're saying is, is the part about being a parent is trying to kill your kids. <laughs> Call back, ladies and Fuck gentlemen. Fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Sequest out. I both. think my biggest annoyance is that both the parents, the mom right before she's about to kill the daughter, and the the father right before the son kills him. They have moments of realization. They have moments of realization, which... They don't have it any other point, so it's just like, why does the mirror let go in those moments mm. when it has them, right? Right, that would have to be just a terrible coincidence, right? That it just happens to be that they finally see through it right right before they die, and yeah. it happens to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, like, my biggest complaint about yeah. the whole thing. I, really the, I feel like a, a trope of that, that I'm just like, ah. Could have done without that. I, I would have sat a little longer and written something about it. But when you're structuring a movie like that, I can even imagine, like, from a writer's perspective, like, fuck, man, I think I wrote too much. I really need to finish this, but I don't want to shit on it completely. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they just, like, you know, as a parent, 
none of us are parents so it's like oh my, <laughs> my baby i you know you have that one moment a mother's instinct or a father's instinct and they just have that moment of realization and they let it go because it seems more emotional and powerful i mean i'm just like nah just blast him <laughs> so. i think i was i was kind of infuriated in the beginning by the brother and just how unbelievably resistant he was to things that he actually saw himself and that he knows his sister saw too. But yeah. he spent the last 11 years convincing himself that's, that he didn't see it. That's my point. That was just in the beginning. I think the movie does a really good job of establishing just how hard he worked to repress all of that. Yeah. When he, Especially when he gets lines like, what's more likely, that you're misremembering events from 11 years ago or that the mirror eats dogs? Okay, what's more likely? That you're misremembering events from 11 years ago? Or that the mirror eats dogs? <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess that's a good rationalization. <laughs> you, you basically end up against your will, starting like, at the beginning, uh, well, a- after he says that, really, starting to question the character that you like the most, which is Karen Gillan's character. She's strong. She's planned very well. She talks to the mirror, which is fantastic. I love when she talks to the mirror, when she's like, I hope that still hurts. Yeah. When there's the crack that they ended up causing, when the dad falls back into it. But the problem is, is she's not the audience surrogate, right? Like, Tim is. Yeah. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that in the beginning I didn't like the audience surrogate? Is it telling us that, like Tim, who's supposed to be us, we rationalize too much? But then pretty much after, after that, we, we get the proof that, no, the mirror is messing with us. And because while they're having this argument, we see that they've been moving the cameras around. Mm-hmm. I think it really redeems itself in that. Then, though, when we talk about how the director and the writer, Mike Flanagan how he wanted that uncertainty and that's why he didn't want to do it found footage. He gives us that certainty right there in that moment. And we're like, Oh, Oh, well we do. Yeah, no, we know it's fucking with you. There is no uncertainty anymore. And wasn't the whole point to foster this uncertainty. And so instead, as opposed to uncertainty as to whether the mirror is actually doing anything, we get uncertainty in individual moments, like with the apple and the light bulb or the stabbing, the, the uh, fiance in the neck with the piece of the pottery or whatever. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's a good enough trade off for me that I'm satisfied. Yeah. Well, I really love this movie. I don't think I have anything else that's really worth bringing up in my notes. <laughs> I think it does a good job. And I think it's psychologically scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. It, it's really scary to me that like, you know, you reach a certain age and you start like if you have dementia this is what life is going to be like. And that's really scary. Yeah. You're going to go in and out of reality. You're not going to know what's real or not. And how can you trust the people around you? Damn. That puts it in a whole different perspective. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) All right. That was 2013's Oculus. Kelsey, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to guess an 80. Bob? Hmm. I don't know too many people who like this movie, so I'm going to say 50s? 73. Oh, much better than I thought. I'm very pleased to hear that. Wait, the Metacritic you, is 61. Why do you hmm. think that people didn't like it? Not a lot of people talk about it. They don't talk about it. it doesn't mean they don't like it. People always tend to talk about things they like. Whenever <laughs> yeah, I talk to, to like people about horror or whatever... Or, like, stuff on Netflix, like, I always 
mention horror. Like that's the, to me, it, to me, uh, there's two things that have great conversation: film and music, and particularly with film, it's horror because. For me, knowing what people find to be scary or what people find to be creepy or anything enjoyable in that says a lot about their personalities. And to me, that's the best conversation. <laughs> and not a lot of people talk about Oculus. They always talk about like, oh, I went and saw uh, fucking... Annabelle. Yeah, Annabelle. Or <laughs> I went and saw... What's that shitty one where you make wishes and... Wish Upon? Wish Upon. <laughs> with, oh, my God. I watch... Fun fact about that fucking movie. Uh, I was at a friend's house and we decided, man, this movie sounds dog shit. Do you want to rent it? Uh. Yeah, let's rent it. We rented it, I think, on YouTube. The cheapest movie on there. Lowest price. To the point of where I think it was like an awkward pricing, like $1.63. I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be bad. (laughs) And we watched it. Oh, that movie was bad. (laughs) And I'm like, why did Cheryl and Finn agree to this? Oh, paycheck. Oh, look, there's Barb. Hopefully she does. Yes, perfect. Okay, good. So I texted all of my Stranger Things. I said, hey, you guys should really check out this movie. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) but yeah, that movie was terrible. But like, like getting getting back to that, like horror for me is is a great conversation and finding out what a person finds is scary because I find I strongly believe like fears, letting somebody know what you're scared of is the type of trusting vulnerability of it to where I've seen enough horror films to where if you tell somebody what you're scared of, there's a possibility that that person is going to use that against you in some way, shape or form. All of the Twilight Zone movie opening. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd was a dick in that movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, the reason, the, the reason why I thought about this movie getting lower than it did is because not a lot of people talked about it, and that makes me happy to know that it did get a better score than I thought it would get. So that said, what would you give it? Honestly, I would give it. Uh, what was the score on the Rotten Tomatoes again? Seventy-three. I'd give it a seventy-six. Cause it's it's really good. Like I like the structure of it and everything. I don't uh, rewatch it as much. I mean, I've watched it like four times and it's been enjoyable every time. But like, I think as time goes on, to me, it will be replayed a lot more in my personal um, preference of it. So it's it's there, but it's not the structure of like a Christine or uh, a Shining or like. Uh, your next or anything like that like the 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 gimmick of it is not enough to make me watch it over and over again but i'll watch it again as time goes on because it's like drinking a nice wine (laughs) you want to have it and oh my god this is so fucking good i don't want to spoil it so much like Mm -hmm. we're gonna put you back on with the amontillado (laughs) kelf so I agree. I agree. It's not something that I can watch Christine over and over and over again. I I have a profound love for it. It it's fun to watch. Whereas this, it doesn't have that fun factor for me. So it's not one that I'm like, oh my god, I love it so much. Don't touch it. It's perfect. But it's funny because I actually think it's a much better made film. Oh, totally. And that's usually where my scale lands. Mm-hmm. So I would give it probably. An 88, I think it's very well made, and it saddens me that so few people have seen it or heard of it. I think it's great. Yeah, I I, I highly recommend it, but yeah, it's not one that I'm going to 
Like if you were if you were to be like, let's watch Christine again tomorrow, I'd probably be like, okay. Yeah. But like this one, I'd be like, ah, I just watched it, you know. Yeah, I'd probably give it an eighty-three for those same reasons. I think it's a really high quality movie. It's very well made. It's it's a great film. Now I don't love it as much as I love Christine, but it makes up for that by being a much more competent movie. I think, yeah. Especially in a time when like horror like at the time that came out, horror was like good horror here and there. It wasn't all the time. Like that's why I love it even more because I remember that time in in entertainment because horror was just being literally farted out every month. Well, that's where I mean, Bloomhouse is kind of the the angel and the devil of horror. <laughs> They they put out shit like Annabelle and then amazing stuff like Insidious. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't like Insidious, but I love. They're wrong. Insidious. Yeah, they're very wrong. There's they're, a deeper meaning to and it. We, and we can Insidious say the Conjuring Two, not the Conjuring Two, but the Conjuring also. <laughs> not the Conjuring. <laughs> yeah, there's two. Conjuring Two, and then there's the British remake. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, it's the era of cool horror. I feel yeah. right. That's the way we we kind of define. There's the. There's the old school horror, there's the 80s style horror, and then there's like the cool horror. Those are our three eras that we love the most. Those are the best ones. I mean. <laughs> so that was 2013's Oculus, and that concludes our week of haunted stuff, otherwise known as Material Possessions. <laughs> so good. Thank you. So good. Man. I love it. <laughs> Kelsey, what's on the slate for next week? Uh, next week, I think you're going to be very excited. I was excited for this week. I know you were. And I, I think next week is going to be very exciting as well. So, yeah. So, next week isn't exactly a double feature because it's the original and then it's kind of a prequel. But next week, we're watching The Thing. I was going to say The yeah. Thing. Yeah. Oh, my god! John Carpenter continues. Yes. Yay. And then next week with The Thing yeah. and The Thing, Ugh. which had the same the name, one. but it's a prequel. We were just talking about this in Leonard Maltin's review. Yeah. <laughs> Bob is not oh, liking this, the new one. bloody movie. <laughs> I, love, I love the John Carpenter, The Thing. That's like the holy grail of practical effects. I haven't seen the remake, but I have seen some of the CGI and it yeah. is not good. It, no, it's I don't know why they like for a movie that's so well known for the practical effects, why they wouldn't do practical effects just baffles me. Yeah, I don't well, because studios are very comfortable with the cheaper yeah. CGI. And it Yeah. I don't want to tell you guys too much. I mean, you know what you know going in. Uh, right, I know, know very goes. little. I just know okay. that Ramona Flowers is in it, oh, and it's a prequel. She's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, even the most wonderful actresses and actors do shit every now and then. But, it's true. But yeah, I'm, uh, you, believe me, I'll be listening for that episode because I want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. But yeah, to me, the thing is is untouchable, and they touched it. So. <laughs> The first one is always incredible. Whenever it's cold, I watch it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we're not going to go that route. We're going to go movies that are actually titled The Thing. Yeah. And it's going to be weird because the second movie is the first in the timeline. <laughs> sort of. We're not going to mess with the format, though. We'll do John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. Take notes on that. Followed by The Thing from 2011. And I am super, super excited. Thank you for having us to the list, Kelsey. 
you could always read the short story that it's based upon because it's really good. Yeah. Nobody reads it. There? Yes. Yeah. Super good. I've been meaning to find it. I want. I've been wanting to reread it. I've read uh, the one that They Live was based off of. Oh, I didn't know it was based on a book. It was a short story. Oh, okay. In the meantime, you can reach Naughty Bobby Ramos at <laughs> Dino Winwood on Twitter. Anything else you want to plug while you're here? Uh, you can catch me on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Uh, check your local listings on that as as the character Howdy Price. Uh, I'd greatly appreciate it, uh, the ratings and whatnot. David Arquette is a big fan of mine, as well as recently Pee Wee Herman. Nice. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you can catch me on those two. Thank you for coming in, Bob. I'm, I'm really very glad. happy to have been here. I, when you guys told me that you were doing a horror podcast, I'm like, I wonder when they're going to ask me. <laughs> I, I, I posted on Twitter about, about Christine, just in general, about mm-hmm. how much we love Christine. Mm-hmm. And then you responded with... Uh, something to the effect of... I wish I could watch it with you. Yes. Yeah. And so and when I Kelsey said, that. hey, we're doing Christine next week, I was like, oh, Bob posted the thing. We need <laughs> to invite him to do this episode with us. So yeah, it I worked out really well. It. I'm glad I got to watch it with you guys and be on the show. So thank you. And since this is a horror podcast, we're honored to have the Ginger Dead Man join yes. us. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, uh, you can have me call in or come back anytime or... You know, cut a throat or two. It's uh, it's no problem. <laughs> How was it fighting the evil bong? Uh, it was fine, but just, <laughs> you know, not as not as uh, bloody as I thought. Why does he kill? Why does he fight the evil bong? Well, the evil bong is uh, she she controls people when they smoke her uh-huh. and stuff, and it's it's a very it's a very deep plot. I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> it's cutting into Ginger Dead Man's. Playtime. His bloodlust needs to be. Uh, How did know, he satisfied. come to life? He was a serial killer who got shot. So and, Chucky. Oh, yeah, so it's pretty Chucky. much Chucky. But oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> please don't fire me, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his soul gets trapped in a cookie, a murderous cookie. So the if you want to, if you want to go like more origin story with it, uh, I was in one of the previous ones as an extra who got killed. Uh, we filmed at a roller disco because it's in the 70s. Uh-huh. And it was called Saturday Night Cleaver. And uh-huh. he puts this electric current into the roller rink and we all get electrocuted and we die. So you see me for a quick second going, <laughs> and I die in a roller rink. So, That's awesome. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for joining us, Bob. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Until next time, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. There you can browse all of our episodes, even a list of every movie we've ever had on the show, if you just want to pick and choose. You can also leave a comment under any of the episodes. You can share your thoughts about our recording, the movies. You can recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode, which we do listen to and try to incorporate. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your podcatcher of choice, because that really, really does help us out. And thank you, as always, for listening. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And I'm the ginger dead man. (laughs) (laughs) Bob, do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? There is nothing like being behind the wheel of your own car. Cemetery. I don't want to 
Yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> he just goes, okay, cool. Send me a clip. So I sent him a clip of it, and they brought me in. So I was like, I get paid to be Gary Busey. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's very simple. You just got to talk real, almost throaty, very graspy, <laughs> and you talk with your teeth. You <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, Utah? So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm trying to work on my Jake Busey, which is just... Not know, quite as throaty. Not as throaty. Just still talking with your teeth, though. Still talking with your teeth. A little douchey. <laughs> a little douchey. You watch Tomcats. So. Or, um... Frighteners? Or... Um... Oh, The Hitcher 2. No. Oh, uh... You know what I'm thinking of, Bob. What, uh... What am I thinking? PCU? <sighs> I'll go through his whole catalog. Thing. Yeah, and you're missing it. I know. I think There's I'm doing... a parrot that talks... Oh, Polly. No, it, it sounds... I think there was a parrot... Man, I might be way off. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a soda that might have existed in the 90s. Josta? It was a TV show. Shasta McNasty? Shasta McNasty! Okay, it's it's not... It's not a soda that might have existed it's in the 90s. Exactly it's a soda existed that existed <laughs> in the 80s and 90s and now. <laughs> Shasta McNasty. Shasta McNasty. <laughs> Always see the commercial for that when we watch SmackDown. <laughs> mm. Plus, like, I don't know if it was their theme song, but they sure as shit played it during the commercial. Uh, My Own Worst Enemy by Lit. So anytime I hear the opening riff, the dun, 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 I automatically say Shasta McNasty. <laughs> Only on UPN. Uh-huh. All right, we got to do Quiet Time. So we're just going to sit in silence for about 20 seconds or so, okay? Can we do hand motions like in a quiet place? No. Because that gets picked up. He's very serious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what? And Bob, since you're here, uh-huh. um, I want to ask you. Take out the trash. Yes. Okay. Um, what um, would you like to be one of my groomsmen? I. I- for the record, I kind of had a feeling this is why he asked me over. <laughs> it's absolutely not. It just happened to oh, coincide. No, totally it happened to coincide. And I'm like, great, I'm going to see him in person. There's no, there's no episode, is there? There is no episode. <laughs> I don't like being played, Jerry. <laughs> um. Would you like to be in our wedding, Bob? Please? Sure, Thank not? you so much. You're welcome. You, you, don't really, you don't say no to that, though. I appreciate that. Like We've known each other for like almost 30 years now. Or not 30 years, 20 like, years now. I'm like, not most of our lives. <laughs> almost 20 like, years. Because I knew be... you in, in, in middle school through Andy. Through right, but we didn't really hang out until we high school. Out. Yeah. When I started coming around towards the... The gym wall. Yeah, uh-huh. In front of the ladies' gym. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, these these kids hang out near the ladies' gym. Like, maybe they know something I don't. I should probably just go over there. <laughs> it was almost like 1960s Italian mobster kind of wedding, because he was in this, like, slim fit, like, very nice silver tuxedo suit. And she was just this lovely bride. And they were playing all this old music, and everybody was shaking hands and dancing and kissing, and it was just wonderful outside in this farm and i'm like i really want to hand you an envelope full of money and say you know you kids are gonna be all right (laughs) it was really cool kids are gonna be all right (laughs) but yeah this will be i think my 11th wedding so jesus pretty good about that 
It's the 13th one I'm scared of. <laughs> That'll probably be mine. Yeah, as long as it's not <laughs> us, I guess. No, no, no. You, you kids will be. Your kids are going to be all right. <laughs> so. Are we recording? <laughs> Technically, yes. Okay, the, the, I was just gonna say to like to the listeners, I'm not stoned. I'm the episode has not like started yet. I get really happy. And <laughs> everything, so, yeah. true or false? One of the puppets and Puppet Master vomits slugs into uh, its victim's mouth. We we, we just recorded question. that one. Oh, yeah, we just one. recorded that one. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> All right, fine. That's why. I, see, I told you I had a feeling. With it's you. wrong though. It's wrong. It's totally wrong because it's not in the mouth. It's on. It's on the. Body. And it's not slugs. It's yeah, it's, it's leeches. leeches. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Shout out to Charles Band. Give me more work. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Watch Christine. We highly, highly recommend it. And when we yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is dumb. Car orgy. I will not have you selling the name of Mochi. Kelsey, oh, nah, that's not how I end it. <laughs> Bob, do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? Uh, stay the fuck away from mirrors. <laughs> Usually we take a quote from, from yeah, one of the movies. Oh, one of the pick movies. a quote. Pick yeah. a quote. Ooh. Ooh, okay. And where do you live, Simon? I live in the weak and the wounded. That's from Session 9. No, from one of the movies we watched. (laughs) Oh, one of the movies we watched. Yes. (laughs) It's like, what's happening? (laughs) You didn't tell me it was a direct quote. Uh, Okay, fine, fine, fine. Let's think of a good one here. That car. It's that car. I swear it's the car. Then get rid of that car. And that car. Because I hate that car. It's my damn car!